This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking our top 10 films of 2019. Put on your tuxedo, get your popcorn. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss the movies weekly. However, this is our special Top 10 episode. It is, it's still one of our numbered episodes, but it is our Top 10 show of 2019. We, we've done it. We've gotten to 2020. All, I'm checking my hand. My fingers are all here. My toes are all here. Abe, you good on your side? Yeah, Barbara Walters is here, too. We've, <laughs> 2020, yeah, we made it. We made it to the new year, but we haven't finished with last year. We're gonna no, we're talk, not. We're going to talk about our top 10 films of 2019 for this episode, episode 392, 392. This is a pretty decent number. I mean, it would have been fascinating if we got to 400 with the top 10, but whatever. I mean, if you want to go that way, we're at like 600-something of all the bonus. I know, episodes, yeah, so... we're pretty up there. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. But... We get an official count, by the way. <laughs> Because no, no, I don't know what it is. Well, when we when we fired a hire on that out now intern, we'll, we'll figure that out. <laughs> anyway, joining us this evening to t- discuss our top tens of 2019, we have from Fast Film Reviews. He's written the report on a book smart Irishman living in a lighthouse near dark waters. It's Mark Hoban. Hi everyone. Also joining us from Movies Marcus, his high life is defined by being the missing link holding his knives out during the climax. It's Marcus <laughs> Robinson. Hey, wow, that was good. That was, that was pretty solid there. That was solid. It makes a lot of movie titles. It makes me wish I wrote one for you, Abe, but you're my co-host, and you don't deserve it. Nah, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm just uh, out now with Aaron and Abe. <laughs> Mark, Marcus, how are you both doing this evening? Very well. Yeah, great. Good. Are you guys excited? I'm excited to do our top tens. I'm very excited. It, not only is this our top ten show, but I think it's one of the top ten shows of your podcast. Yeah. Boom! Oh, wow. That's right. You brought that around. I, I, I took it there. Wow. We should... That'd be fun to do if we could, if we like we take all the shows from like the beginning of this year to the end of this year and like have people vote on which ones are the best of the top ten shows. Be kind of hard, but we could do it. Yeah, it's like the top ten show, the Oscar winners episode, and the Eternals for some reason. Like I don't know, like whatever it is. But, the Eternals. Yeah, I, I just predict it's going to be a good episode. What can I tell you? Kamel Nanjani got ripped. What, what can I say? Uh, I know. Yeah, huge. I'm just like, oh man, comedians are funny and big. Yeah. anyway <laughs> anyway yes we have you guys both here abe and i are here we're all here we're going to talk about our top 10 shows and not just us i was able to get many of the of our guests that we come on frequently onto this program uh to record their top 10 shows so after what by the time you're hearing this i'll have edited in all of their different recordings so you get to hear a lot of different top 10s from a lot of guests on this show a lot of so a lot of fun all around here hello out now listeners maxwell haddad here you can follow me on twitter at cinemaxwell my top 10 films of 2019 are as follows. Number 10, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Number 9, Dr. Sleep. Number 8, The Farewell. Number 7, Ad Astra. Number 6, Marriage Story. Number 5, Knives Out. Number 4, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number 3, Parasite. Number 2, Uncut Gems. And finally, my top film of 2019 is Greta Gerwig's adaptation of Little Women. Mm-hmm. Any show notes? Yeah, let's do some real quick. First up, new commentary track. It is January, which means it's a new month, and that means we're going to record another commentary track. We've, I, we already have one in mind. In honor of Bad Boys for Life coming out, that's right. We're going to talk about Bad Boys uh, this for this month's commentary track. So get ready <laughs> for that. What you going to do? <laughs> exactly. What you going to do? So yeah. 
be prepared for that one. Speaking of which, that will be on iTunes, where you can find all of our episodes. And by doing that, you can go and give us a rating and review. You can log on to iTunes, find our show, give us a star rating and a written review. That'd be great. Thanks so much. Hi, Aaron and Abe. It's Jay here from Life vs. Film, The Lambcast, and The Lamb. My top 11, you have to top 10, but my top 11 films of 2019. Number 11 is Terminator Dark Fate, which I really enjoyed far more than most other people seem to. Uh, so my actual top 10, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. 10, number 9 is Wild Rose. 8 is Toy Story 4. 7 is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, 6 is a Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon. Uh, then Booksmart cracks the top 5. Then we have Crawl. And my top 3 is Rocketman. Then Knives Out. And I don't want to be that much of a fanboy, but my number one is Avengers Endgame. I don't, I don't want it to be, but it was so pleasing. It was just so entertaining. It's not a perfect film. There are a few issues, but Endgame brings it all together. It's a lot of great comedy. It's got time travel. So yeah, my number one is Avengers Endgame, and I am embarrassed about that. You cannot change the fact that that was my favorite film of 2019. So thanks, guys. I look forward to more shows in 2020 pretty much it i think for the on the show notes area well you know there's there's wow. bo- there's bonus stuff coming of course there's an oscar show coming in a month or two or whatever that happens and all that let's do a, i have a, a quick know everybody question that'll kind of get us in the mood for this uh so let's do let's do a little uh no everybody. everybody um all right i have a question for you guys yeah. what, what what is the pro- i think I've, we kind of go over this in the past but what is the process for making your list do you like do you guys do you look at the all the films that you've seen and like just rank them outright like every single one of them do you pretty think, much yeah do you, do you yeah. look at certain- I, I go by the run tomatoes uh fan score <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you go do you, do you go through a process like that or do you, do you look at films and do any do any films climb up higher than you might have had them earlier in the year after thinking about them for a while like what was the process so I, I rate movies right after i see them and i really feel like that is the best indication of how i feel about a movie uh, so at the end of the year i'll list all my movies rank them as how i you know, gave them a star rating. And then, you know, things that are three and a, a lot of things get three and a half stars. There's quite a few that get three stars. Those things are the ones that I kind of play with and, and I kind of move them around to sort of figure out. But for the most part, they, they stay in those same general areas. Occasionally, I mean, very rare. This It didn't happen this year. But every once in a while, I'll, I'll realize something is in the wrong spot. But that doesn't happen too often because I think how I react to a film as I walk out of the theater or at that moment is really my, my gut reaction. That's what I trust. I, I think I have a tendency at the end of the year, you, you keep hearing certain films keep being talked about. And you said, well, when I saw that film, I didn't really care for it. And I think I, I trust my gut instinct, but yeah, that's like basically that. how I do it. Wow. That's wow. That's solid. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm more or less the same way as well, Mark. Uh, I, I will watch the movie. I'll ingest it and I'll have a feeling of whether I liked it or not right away. And the only times in which I'll revisit something during the year is if it did have that impact on me. I'm just like, you know what? I have to make sure as I'm looking at these lists here, I've, got, I've just got to double check. So, you know, if I watch something two or three times in a year, that's pretty substantial. I mean, it's, it's the way that Mark, I think that you don't really watch anything twice in a year, right? Uh, very few, right? So, yeah, I, I kind of go off of the feeling of of how it makes me feel and how it gets to me on an emotional level. And obviously everything that or, or everything else that we take into account 
uh, whether it's the technical stuff of the movie and or the writing and or the direction and and cinematography. But yeah, as a whole, I'll just kind of get the uh, feel for it. I'd like to say that I'm the opposite of Mark, but I it kind of comes down to the same thing where I, you know, yeah. I do revisit movies uh, quite a bit if I can. But while I used to kind of wait till the end of the year to be like, all right, what are the 10 films that I like the most? I've more recently been just keeping up a log of them and kind of reordering it as I go through the year, like just kind of keep an ever moving list of films just because I try to keep mm-hmm. a lot of things in my certainly ones that like stick out as far as like I'm still thinking about them there's a couple on this list where I had maybe lower quote-unquote ratings of them and then like the more I thought about it, the more I was like this movie's still in my mind like I'm still thinking about it and right it, it's kind of it sticks out in that way where I'm like I mean I, I wouldn't have thought that it'd end up here but here it is uh, so you know it it it's an evolving thing, I guess, for me when I kind of put this all together. But at the same time, you know, there are movies that are standouts where I'm like, well, that's not going anywhere. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to suddenly dislike this movie more. So, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a fun process for sure. It could be, it's weirdly stressful when you're trying to cram like nine movies into like three <laughs> spots at the bottom of your list because you like, you like all of them. <laughs> How about, you're trying to cram 15 movies into your top 10. Exactly. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's generally, and then, but then what's all, what the weirdest thing though is like the second I remove one movie from the top 10, it's like, it feels like, like the pressure is just dropped all of a sudden. It's like, well, that felt good. Now I can like shuffle this around and it feels better. Like all of a sudden. I mean, Murakano teaches you the same thing. You gotta like get rid of things. Yeah, that's that just, that just <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> Mark, did or Marcus, did you have a? Yeah, anything? you guys, you guys pretty much nailed it. I'm I'm kind of with uh, with Aaron, where I'll kind of reassess stuff. I'll I'll rewatch stuff that maybe. So I like rewatched some of the stuff that came out in the summer mm-hmm. or a little bit before the summer that made my list um, multiple times. Um, if I kind of lost a little bit of the impact and go why was this so high why is this written down why why did i like this so much and then i'll go re-watch it and refresh myself a little bit but yeah it's kind of the same thing you guys are talking about well i guess i won't be surprised when i see secret life of pets 2 on your list then. but uh, we'll, exactly we'll get there exactly <laughs> <laughs> i'm like what's the first kevin hart movie i could think of off <laughs> that's the one you came up with here's the easiest one to say secret life okay. of pets 2 <laughs> not like the upside <laughs> this, is, this is way easier oh, that, yeah. I'm sorry Brian Cranston yeah the white Kevin Hart you know, we say. <laughs> <laughs> all right came out January February I can't remember which month yeah January and it made over a hundred million dollars so there you go Dang. I know Jeez. Oh. the combination Cranston and Hart people are like Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart they're like no thank you give me Breaking Bad and Kevin Hart <laughs> All right, that's enough of that. That's how you play. No, everybody. No, everybody. Hi, this is Scott Menzel from We Live Entertainment, and here are my top 10 films of 2019. Number 10, Rocket Man. Number 9, Honey Boy. Number 8, Book Smart. Number 7, Richard Jewell. Number 6, 1917. Number 5, Knives Out. Number four, Parasite. Number three, Waves. Number two, Marriage Story. And my number one pick is Joker. Let's do it. Let's get to our top tens of 2019. So what we're going to do here, each of us is going to quickly list what our 10 through 1 is. And after all four of us have listed our entire top 10, we're just going to have a big long discussion about it. And just kind of have some fun with that. So Mm -hmm. um, let's, uh, let's do this. Let's start with Marcus. Oh, wow. Yes. All right. Okay. 
Number 10. Is this quick enough? Right. <laughs> yes. Okay, number number 10, Knives Out. Super enjoyable. More than escapism. Number 9, Jojo Rabbit. Movie about Nazis, but it's fun. And number 8, <laughs> Joker. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is amazing. And Todd Phillips is surprisingly amazing. Uh, Under the Silver Lake, number 7. Some people saw it. 2018 i think it technically came out on 2019, 2019 yeah, but 19. you know i loved it it's a fanboy favorite book smart number six funniest movie of the year for me uh the irishman i thought it was better than goodfellas and casino number that was number five parasite could have been number one but it's number four uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would probably speak or their top three could also be number one yeah i would say i would say anything in my top four is, they're interchangeable. Yeah. Um, Midsummer, I mean, other people are going to talk about it on this list, but it's it's a twisted favorite. Um, Loose, it's probably going to be on nobody's list from conversations <laughs> I've had prior, but I'm <laughs> it's a it's a fan favorite of mine. Uh, and Marriage Story, I think it's perfect. I've never been a huge Noah Baumbach uh, fan, but. It stayed with me. I've seen it like three times now, mostly because it's on Netflix. All right. Mark, what are your top 10 films of 2019? So I, I can't just say one sentence. I'm just going to go ahead. <laughs> so, I, I, I'm, I'm, so I'm going to just name the 10. I'm yeah. just going to go. Okay. Yeah. That's how we All want right. it. <laughs> yeah. 10, The Farewell. 9, The Mustang. 8, The Peanut Butter Falcon. 7, Booksmart. 6, Ford versus Ferrari. 5, Waves, four, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, three, Midsummer, two, Jojo Rabbit, and at number one, 1917. All right. Yeah. All right. Abe, what are your top 10 films of 2019? Top 10 films of 2019. Number 10, Toy Story 4, uh, great Woody story here. Uh, number nine, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, uh, poetic and also complex, very well shot too, one of the best shot movies of the year. Number eight, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number seven, Knives Out. Number six, Marriage Story. Uh, we'll talk about that. Five, Little Woman. Um, one of the best adaptations, and, and Greta Gerwig continues to be on pace to be one of my, like, I'll watch anything that she makes coming up uh, soon. Uh, four, Booksmart, one of the movies that I've revisited multiple times this year. Not perfect, but uh, still very good. Number three, Jojo Rabbit, War is Bad. Also, this story is super complex in its way of uh, dealing with um, what you call it uh, on dealing with uh, the the feelings of a ten year old boy. Uh, number two, the farewell. Um, again, rewatched, and also the way that it, it's. I like the way that it, it's actually multiple stories in one. It's not just like a Chinese American story or an American Chinese story. It's all of it, uh, all in one. And number one, 1917. Um, again, like we discussed maybe just last week, one of the best movie-going experiences of the year, but also uh, on in terms of all the technical aspects of it, knockout. All right, great. I had a pretty good on yours, by the way. I didn't write yours, but I did. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was, you had a pretty good feeling. Yeah. I, I had a pretty good feeling about like six of those, and I, don't know, I was pretty happy <laughs> regardless of right. I knew 1917. I was like, that's going to be his number one. Um, <laughs> all right. Could have been the effusive praise that I threw at it last week. I, yeah, it, it, it seemed pretty apparent to me. Uh, okay, I have my top ten here. Here we go. I'm just going to read them, too, so we can just kind of get into it. Okay. Number ten, Shadow. Number nine, Transit. Number eight, 
1917. Number seven, Midsummer. Number six, High Flying Bird. Number five, Us. Number four, Uncut Gems. Number three, Parasite. Number two, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And number one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There we have it. We've all great, listed our yeah, top what, tens. what a lot of great lists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the movie? What's the movie that's on all of our lists? Let's see. Do you have Last Icon in San Francisco on Marcus or Mark's list? Marcus's does not have it. But one of the things that I liked about your list and Marcus's list too is that you guys have like some smaller features, but also you know something like High Flying Bird, Netflix release, right? I mean, so is, so is The Irishman. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. But I mean, like you know, just in terms of like, oh wow, I I, I didn't think about that, but that's a I'm still halfway through it. <laughs> Hello, this is Mike Dillon at Cal State Fullerton. Here are my top 10 feature films of 2019. Number 10, Tom Hooper's Cats. No caveats, no explanations, and no apologies. Number 9, Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life. Number 8, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Number 7, Aaron Schimberg's Chained for Life. Number 6, Joe Talbot's The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Number five, Almodovar's Pain and Glory. Number four, Christian Petzold's Transit. Number three, Ueda Shinichiro's One Cut of the Dead. Number two, Zha Zhangke's Ash is Purest White. And number one, Gaspar Noé's Climax. Wishing you an outstanding movie year in 2020. Like a boss, missed you by this much. I think, Marcus, this is the closest I've ever agreed with your top ten. Really? Yeah. So, yeah. I would also agree. I, but I don't know whether to be happy or scared. That's yeah. the sign of the apocalypse. Maybe like we're turning more like Marcus, or Marcus is turning more mainstream. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't see Silver Lake, so that's that's definitely something I I plan to to look to watch soon. But everything on your list, I even loose. I mean, I just felt well. We'll talk about each one, but that felt like it started out great, and then it just sort of didn't but everything else in your list i i loved i mean i don't i don't disagree about loose or like i feel like the, the front half was better to me than the second half but i still think the performances are very strong like i do like the movie overall yeah uh, but marcus let, let's talk about some of these let, let's talk about loose a bit it made it's all, all the way at number two of the of the year you, you clearly <laughs> yeah it was, a, it. it was all right you know i, I liked it uh... <laughs> <laughs> no okay so so Please elaborate. No, I, I think I remember talking to you, you, you three about about the movie, and you guys were really kind of disappointed, I guess, with it. Like, I don't know if the expectations were what the expectations were, but <laughs> I just I heard it was a really good movie, and I'm like, all right, let me watch this movie, and that was my expectation. I, I think it hit on all levels. I, I, I mean, I love the character. He's he's a flawed character. Um, it's, it's one of those movies where ten people can see it. And ten, you can have ten different opinions about about it. I I just didn't think one of the opinions was that it was a bad movie. Um, I don't know. Do you want me to tell you what it's about? Or no, you don't need. We don't need to go over what they're about. Uh, okay, but just some okay. things. Some one, things. Some things you like. One about. of the things I w- I will say, Marcus. I, so it stars uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr. and he's also in one of my picks, Waves. And I think uh, he's he's good in both films. Uh, and and he's sort of a. He's a he's a very charismatic presence and somebody who I think, especially in Loose, you don't really quite know what what is this guy about. And I think that part is intriguing. I think I think that goes that's the big part of the story though. I, I think he has to keep that face 
where he is, you can't read him. You don't know whether to kind of root for him or not root for him, or if he's a dangerous person, or if he's just some lost individual or what. And yeah, at the end, it doesn't really answer the questions. It doesn't fulfill, you know, what some people would say is answering all the questions. But I thought it was really, really interesting to see a character, especially a black character, that was like that. That was so uh, – he was adopted to this white family, and he was like the Obama of the of, of the school and the overachiever, and you got to see the pressure that it got – that was put on him, and you got to see he's, – he's, he's not specifically that person that everybody's pigeoning – pigeonholing him into and the octavia spencer character who is the she's kind of the gatekeeper i guess of the black community in in the small black community in this school where she goes you need to act like this and you need to act like this because we're in this we're in this white school and you're in a privileged area and you need to act a certain way to get past where you need to go or else you know bad things will happen, and he has other ideas. Well, let's use that to pivot to Waves, because I do think there's a lot of similar elements between both Kelvin Harris Jr. Um, uh, characters. I mean, you're, you're speaking to Luce as far as there's there's a kind of a, pres- a side that he's presenting his character versus the Luce's char- the Luce character versus the side that's actually out there, right. which is more ambiguous and on purpose, and we, even at the end of the movie, we're still kind of like, what where uh waves i do think <laughs> waves i do think is i'm trying not to like go too far into it because i want to like ruin the movie for you know those who are like marcus this is the best one we need to see all those movies um but, uh, which is how these these podcasts are judged obviously as well who has the exactly. best list? um but waves waves plays more into him being a very specific type of this character like it's a guy that's who who is um he's he wants to he wants to be a high achiever and it's partially because of the stress that his father played by sterling k brown who's very good in the movie places right. on him as well and and pushing him to be the best and him and and um what's the mark what's the character's name i'm trying i don't want to keep saying the character uh, uh tyler williams tyler uh, like the talking about uh calvin harris jr yeah in, in ways yeah, yeah his name is tyler williams yeah like it's like you know the stress is put, being put on him and what but mark talk about waves more you you have it on your list Yes. So I think one of the things I really it's about this, I mean, suburban family. And as you you kind of already recounted the story, I think what really it it gradually becomes this epic of a family. And I really love movies that detail the human experience. And I think Waves detailed that almost better than any film I saw last year. And one of the things that just makes it so uh amazing is there a moment in the in the middle of the movie where the focus of the film pivots from one character to another after a very serious event and it's that pivot that sort of now portrays the events from another person's point of view that we get just such a depth into this family um i I think ty uh schultz uh Trey Edward Schultz, yeah. Trey Edward Schultz. Um, he's really, I mean, he's directed a couple of uh, films before this. This is uh, far and away my favorite of his movies. And I just think he handles the the story in such an amazing way. And I was captivated by the family, the, the it, you know, the, the characters do bad things. I mean, they're, and they're, and there are good things and, and it, and it's like life. And 
something happens and it's just the way it's portrayed and i just felt it was very real and genuine and and i just was captivated by the the experience that i i went on with this family yeah that's actually a lot of stuff that i haven't seen waves yet but it's one of those it's it's one of those films that i've been reading a lot of people saying this is or i i was so captivated by this movie you should definitely see it in theaters immediately kind of thing and i was like i just didn't have time to see it but Everything that you're saying, Mark, kind of just follows suit with what everybody else has been writing too. So it's it's definitely high on the the catch up list. I actually have a catch up list that I definitely have. On, no, that's on that's a, one that I, I if you had seen it, I figured it'd probably be on your list. You haven't seen it yet though, but I, I, I have not. I, it seems like a movie that I think you'd respond to. A great soundtrack too. A lot of okay, the, yeah. Between the so, between the score by um, uh, Atticus Ad, Ross, Atticus and, Ross Trent, and, and Trent Reznor, oh, and and really? the and the and the tracks chosen for the soundtrack itself. Yeah. A lot it's of like Frank, Frank Ocean and uh, Kanye and a lot of like okay. there's, there's a lot of specific tracks that just really work wow. uh, for that film throughout. It's, it's a really it's a really good movie. Yeah, and then I mean, there's other things. This uh, cinematography by Drew Daniels oh, is also sure. beautifully. I mean, this is all in service of a story that's already great to begin with. And then I mean, I tweeted this I don't know a month ago saying I think almost every category in the Oscars could be filled by a nomination by this film. And I don't think it's going to happen based on, you know, the way things are playing out, but it's such a great film. I really think people should go see it. It's very good. We'll talk about some honorable mentions later on, but I mean, oh, it's, certainly, sure. it's certainly one that uh, it was one of the ones where I struggled with as far as like, this is great. And I don't know where yeah. I can, how I can fit it in with these other movies. That I also think are equally great. Hey, my name is Kevin Taft. I'm a writer for edge media network. And here are my top 10 favorite films of 2019. Number 10 would be a tie between Tolkien and, I know, not a lot of people liked it, but I really loved it, and uh, the French animated film I Lost My Body, which is remarkable. Number 9 would be Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life, where he returns to form. Number 8 would be Giant Little Ones. Number 7 would be Waves, a movie about family, toxic masculinity, and a bunch of other things, but it's just uh, shot beautifully, acted beautifully. It's wonderful. Um, number six would be Noah Baumbach's A Marriage Story, which I think is one of the best scripts um, I've read in a long time. Number five, yes, I'm going to say it, it's Rise of the Skywalker, of Skywalker. Number four would be Alita, Battle Angel, which is also gung-ho filmmaking. Um, number three would be Rocketman, which with an electrifying performance by Taron Edgerton. Number two is Sam Mendes' 1917, which I really think is really one of the best films of the year. But my favorite film of the year is something nobody's really ever heard of. Um, for some reason, this movie just really hit me where it counts, and I can barely talk about the ending of this movie without bursting into tears. Um, it's a movie called Clara. Just an amazing, an amazing movie about two people who come together to try to do something kind of tremendous. And that's it. Thank you. Bye. Question for you, Aaron. I want to ask you about your list, Shadow and Transit. I I was I had a fun segue, but we'll do that too. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, these are obviously movies that are I, I think lower in attention for a lot of people. Uh, I, I wonder if I mean I, I forget what China's submission for best foreign language film is. I might it might be Shadow, but Shadow is the the latest Yang Zhimao film, who has made spectacular films in the past. I'm a huge fan of Hero and The House of Flying Daggers as far as his martial arts films go. And this is another one. I watched it again last night, actually, with my dad. Dad's Movie Corner. He was a big fan of it as well. Um, it, I, I wrote down some specific notes I wanted to make mention of, but Shadow has bladed umbrella fights, duels with zithers, and like the Shakespearean drama plotting that's going on here. And I think it all just works really well to tell 
a, a, an interesting story, a very exciting and thrilling story. And I mean, speaking of cinematography, the whole concept of Shadow is that it's all done in black and white, not like shot oh. black and white, but like every color tone is made. So every costume designed is varying shades of black, white and gray, essentially to resemble like ancient, like a, like Chinese ink painting and like the yin yang, which is a very big symbol throughout the film. Um, it, it it plays really well with like using that like aesthetic choice um, in like even the movies set during like a whole rainy season. So you never see sunlight. It's always constantly gray skies outside the mm. just the, the the it's it's really especially, you know, like thinking about something like Hero, which is very reliant on the various colors to show the different like moods and dream or flashbacks and what have you to kind of give you a different. This is like very it's narrowing it down to just you know one basic palette to work with and it looks fantastic and the you know the martial arts choreography is wonderful as you'd expect the use of slow motion is great as well and the story itself is just really cool like it's it's telling the story of like two rival nations and you have you have spies and evil kings like all the stuff you generally get in like a shakespearean kind of drama like as far as like what side people playing playing on and what have you and like the the romance angles that are involved and whatnot it it's 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 really compelling. It's it would be easy for me to just be like, yeah, Marriage Story, Irishman, which I also really like. And I was struggling with like, how do I fit all this into my top ten? <laughs> but I'm like, I really like Shadow though, also. And it's like, who's talking about Shadow? Not enough people. So <laughs> it's great. I, Aaron, I feel you because sometimes when I'm looking at my list, you know, I think like, so I didn't put Parasite in my top ten. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed the film. Mm-hmm. There are little things that I I feel like. It, kept me from putting it in the top 10 but I, I sort of i could have put it in my top 10 and then i thought you know what everybody is talking about parasite but how many people are talking about the mustang and and, yeah. and i and i loved that you know as much and i guess maybe more because i did put it in my top 10 but i i get what you're saying aaron for sure and uh, speaking of which transit another one which does have a lot it, but all, all the films we've talked about are very like well rated like there's no film in here where it's like everybody else hated it but maybe under the silver lake has been a little yeah, more under mixed the silver lake, that's yeah. probably the one that's probably the most mixed film that's like mentioned here but that said it's it, we'll talk about that more in a, in a bit i can't wait to watch it though i'm but, i'm <laughs> But, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, <laughs> uh, Transit uh, is this director, uh, Christian Ponsold, I believe is the name. Um, he did a film, Phoenix, um, a few years back. Oh, uh, that sounds that, – that was a movie that people loved, right? That was another Phoenix. one. Yeah, that was another like, yeah. highly acclaimed one. Um, this movie's really neat. I talked about this on the show a while back when I reviewed the Blu-ray for Wise of Blue. Um, that's all my stuff. I have a full top ten list. Everything's linked. You can find all these reviews and what have you. But the the film's premise is so fast. I don't want to talk too much about story in this, but like the, the because so many few, few people have seen Transit, I figure why not. Um, the it's this like alternate reality where it's set like in modern day basically because there's modern cars or whatnot but it's like what if we still had like world war ii politics like there's still like fascist rule in europe and it's set in like paris and they eventually go to like a coastal city in paris because there's a man who's trying to basically flee his country and get out get the hell out of there and he has to pose as a dead man um Hmm. in doing this he meets the dead man's wife and they begin to form a romance oh weird it's it's really interesting to watch how this all plays out both because of the central story being told, but the mainly the setting and the, like the work with production design and costuming to give you this kind of universal feel as far as what's going on. Obviously there's a, you can point to ways it reflects today's reality, but in terms of using the politics of, you know, a time from 50 years ago, is that right? 60, 70 years ago. <laughs> when was yeah. That? <laughs> I don't know what you're wearing now. <laughs> we're, not, we're not in the nineties anymore. Um, but like the, the idea of having this kind of, 
you know, police states and like having to have you, you know, have your papers all the time on you and what have you. It's it's really neat to see how a film tackles doing something like that. I guess a show like what The Man in the High Castle, but that's more like extreme as far as the kind of sci-fi-ness of that kind of show. But I mean, there's a similar kind of thing there where as far as, you know, what if there was still this kind of, you know, horrible, like this kind of leadership going on in the, in the world and like how you would, how would you respond to that? What have you? So it's, it's, so yeah, it's like a mix of like modern and not like there's modern cars, what have you, but there's no cell phones. Like it's, it it really, like there's clearly some established rules or how it's trying to do it. But within that, yeah, you get some great performances, strong writing. It's just a really, really good film. I was just really compelled by it. Um, and so it's another one of those where I mention it and then nobody goes and watches it for years. And they're like, oh, you're in that movie you mentioned in 2019. And you notice I haven't seen either. Yeah. <laughs> 90 <laughs> minutes. Not hard to watch. Transit. Still on Netflix? No, not anymore. You missed that chance. Uh, High Flying Bird on Netflix. 90 minutes. Not hard to watch. Uh, that actually almost made my list, too. And it flies by. It's, not, it's, like, it's a quick movie. <laughs> hey there, Out Now with Aaron Abe. This is Alan. I just wanted to call in and give my top 10 of the year. Uh, only prerequisite is I have not seen 1917 yet. Uh, but here we go. Number 10, Avengers Endgame. Number 9, The Farewell. Number 8, Pain and Glory. Number 7, Booksmart. Uh, number 6, Marriage Story. Number 5, The Irishman. Number 4, Knives Out. Number 3, Ad Astra. Number 2, Parasite. Number 1, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right, thanks, guys. Uh, hopefully 2020 is a great year for all of us, and we can have another strong uh, top 10 next year. All right, thanks, guys. See you later. Bye. Um, we were talking about Waves. Waves has a lot of things about family. You guys, you mentioned The Farewell. The Farewell is about family. Let's talk about The Farewell for a while. All right. Farewell is definitely about family. And I think one of the things that I want to ask you guys, too, a little bit later, uh, is um, kind of just like the way that maybe themes emerged in your top 10 list. But as far as The Farewell goes, I mean, The Farewell is a movie that everyone has seen. I mean, Aquafina tonight won a Golden Globe for it. But what I like well about deserved. it... Yeah, yeah, well deserved. And she's she's having a, a terrific year. I mean, it is a just... high-grossing film, too, which is good for A24. For I mean, A24, yeah. yeah. And what I mentioned earlier is it's not just a story about, you know, a family and how they deal with Asian-ness of, uh, of uh, somebody being sick in the family. It also delves deeper into like, well, you know, there's themes of, of you know, this weird race between are Chinese Americans better, are, are uh, Chinese Chinese people better? And it just really got into a lot of different uh, areas that I didn't expect it to go into. And that's what made it so good is, is like it sort of subverted my idea of what the movie was going to be. And I was like, oh, wow, it's actually a deeper movie than I thought. And there's no real conclusion. But to, to be honest, like the, the best thing about it is that it's um, – the ending of it, and if you haven't seen it, we're not going to spoil it, but when you watch the movie, you're just like, oh, that's a, an ending that I wasn't expecting, but I'm also really happy. So it, That's another one where it's just, it was, you know, it's in my 10 through 20, or 11 through 20. It's the... <laughs> There, you've mentioned Aquafina, and there's a lot of talk about her, but yeah, the other the supporting performances are really great all around all as fantastic. well. Uh, there, yes. yeah, it's just a great mix of varying types and how they're responding to this situation, which is both dramatic and funny. Like there is a lot of humor in this movie, as well as a lot of the movies that are on this list. Honestly, when you look at these, um, specifically the ones that you know would scream drama, but they're like, no, that's it's also has some, it's got its moments. Um, yeah. The I mean, we can highlight things about it, but the end of this movie just got me. Like, it's just such a, it's such a, the, a mix of things, I guess. The kind of, the last moment we see with Aquafina, and then kind of the like the credits tag of what's like right. happened. I, I'm just, I, I, I was very happy to just like, 
have the feeling you get coming out of that theater based off where things are, where you like kind of have an understanding of where everybody is with their life at that time, and then just the kind of added bonus of what comes out of that. Right. I, I think one of the things that I really appreciated about the farewell is it's it's not as like it, it's the story about someone who's dying. But it's not a sad movie, and it's it's done from the point of view with sort of a, a that that you haven't seen before. And Aquafina is a nice bridge between the audience and the people in the movie because she sort of bridges these two cultures. She's you know she's a, a, a Chinese American woman who was raised by uh, her parents, but she lives in the U.S. And so mm-hmm. she re- what they have to – this sort of uh, lie that they have to pretend is not something that she's really on board with, although she's she's willing to go along with it. And I think we, the audience, sort of side with her like, oh, that's not really a good thing. But yet you sort of can appreciate their culture and why they want to do that. And I think that that – her performance is so uh, affecting because you you understand her point of view you understand the the, her family's point of view and it's that bridge and so it's relatable and i i know that's that's why it was my number 10 film and and that's a big part of why i really responded to this film and then of course like as you mentioned it really has this ending that's just kind of like wow that's that's just the perfect ending (laughs) it it speaks to the um the yeah, sorry the perspective of the, of the filmmaker like you mentioned like as far as how you get how how you get an audience to kind of go along with what this is like well yeah she's chinese american like you have having what's primarily going to be an american audience that views this film you would side with aquafina naturally but the film is really correct in how it doesn't it it doesn't like say she's exactly right and that's the only per, that's the only perspective you're supposed to have. It allows you to kind of go in, see her perspective, see every other family member's yeah. perspective, and just what I was gonna say and add on to that is like you know so her uncle her uncle actually does some really good convincing later in the movie. I was like oh man I don't know how to feel about this, but also it's like I get it. So yeah, it, it's really well done. This is Eric Eisberg from Cinema Blend coming in with my top ten of 2019. At number ten, I have Peter Strickland's In Fabric. Number nine, Radio Silences, Ready or Not. Number eight, Mike Flanagan's Dr. Sleep. Number seven, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Number six, Ari Aster's Midsummer. Number five, Joe and Anthony Russo's Avengers Endgame. Number four, Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit. Number three, Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. Number two, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And number one, the amazing Safdie Brothers' Uncut Gems. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention was, um, as, as, as far as like sort of themes go when I'm looking at this list, and we all have sort of like the list of, in front of us, I mean, one of the themes that I'm seeing on my list is like a lot of, at least like toward the, the five through one, it's like stories of... Stories I didn't expect it to go the way that they went, and that's a good oh, thing. Oh, for right? sure. I, yeah. I, I do <laughs> enjoy, oh, yeah. Like, I do enjoy <laughs> like looking at uh, these these lists, these top ten lists, and just you know, like toying with the the ideas of, of how we we may have compiled them all individually, meaning like you know we thought about every movie individually, but then when you put it all together, you're just like, oh wow, it's like movies that. <laughs> didn't really uh, live up to uh, what I, I think a traditional movie might live up to, or maybe they're all thematically about like war or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's pretty cool to see that on uh, as a theme. I was just going to say, I think it's nice to see your expectations subverted. So, because yeah. th- that's creativity at work. So if you can predict where the movie is going, it, it perhaps is going to be less satisfying, but 
when the movie goes into places that you don't expect, and it does so in a in a sort of new and in entertaining or creative or affecting way, that's the part that kind of elevates it to you know art. Well, yeah. let's, let's use that to jump into talking about Parasite a little bit. Hello, this is Alex Billington from FirstShowing.net, and my top ten movies of 2019 are number ten, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, number nine, the documentary For Sama, number eight, Uncut Gems, of course, Safety Brothers rocking Adam Sandler out in New York City, number seven, Long Shot, number six, Blinded by the Light, the musical. Number five, The Specials, a French film that premiered at the Cannes Film Festival at the end of the festival. Number four, Marriage Story. Number three, The Lighthouse. Of course, I think this film is a masterpiece. Number two and number one, I kept debating which one deserves the spot, but my number two will be The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which I saw at Sundance and totally loved. And, of course, my number one is Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, another masterpiece. I love it so much. It's fantastic. I mean, you think about it, that movie has been talked about since it won the Palme d'Or last year. And yeah, it's like, like very early on, like March, yeah, April. That's in May, but May. Yeah, like beginning of May, late April. Like, but I mean, it's been, you know, highlighted as far as like just how great it is for the better part of a year. And here we are approaching the Oscar season and it's going to be likely, you know, very likely the, the, the first Korean film to not only be nominated, but probably win an Oscar for Best Foreign Film at the very least. Um, at the very least yeah so i mean i can i've seen a lot of varying takes on a lot of the movies that are on all of our lists or what have you um Mm. not many for parasite honestly like there's not many like beyond like maybe i didn't like it as much as some other people did there's not many takes as like you know this is what parasite gets wrong about the the lower class in korea like there's no articles (laughs) like that because i've not seen an article like that no because everyone pretty much agrees it's like what it's doing it's doing pretty well at least yeah. so it, yeah. but it but it's thinking about predictability wise the storyline of this movie which we haven't really delved into we delved into it on the spoiler episode of our podcast but i mean it's neat how the basic concept of this movie is you know that's out there but where it goes that's largely been like everyone's kind of like had this weird agreement it's like yeah let's not talk about what parasite does because it has cool surprises in it and it does i think part of that comes from the fact that the movie gives you a good out like literally i watched it again it's an hour before the kind of bigger reveal that takes place as far as when another person comes back and has to do something. It's literally, That's literally an hour into the movie when that happens and it kind of takes a new turn. And yeah. I, th- I think that that's great for one thing as far as people are just being surprised by this movie because it has a lot of surprises in it. But also it speaks to just how well constructed it is because you're so engaged by the first hour of the movie, which involves this family that kind of inserts their way into the lives of a richer family. And I, Bong Joon-ho is a filmmaker I really like, and I like how this film really allows him to play with the things he clearly likes. He likes dark humor. He likes genre kind of stuff while being able to insert various forms of social commentary, which he's done in his other films as well. He's going to the host right. of Snowpiercer. He, he's been able to kind yeah, of in, exactly. in, in, you know, find ways to inject you know things he's seeing about the world in his own unique way, and he's done no different here with Parasite, which is just excellent all around. Yeah, no, Marcus, did you want to talk? No, yeah, it's on I, yours. I mean, I Mark totally... and I, I think Mark and I, we both have it like in our top 15 maybe but yeah I was, I was i was very curious about why what what kept it out of your top 10 but I, you know we'll get oh. into that um yeah, my, my, it's just outside my top 10 i don't like it yeah i thought it was one of the more perfect and for what it's doing i mean it's it's like a two-hour juggling act. there's like three or four different stories that are revealed to be happening 
at once here. Um, I, I'm with Aaron. Uh, Bong Joon Ho is, is is one of the more interesting directors working, writer directors working today. He's he's he he takes this story that's you know it's off the beaten path, and then he just pushes it to its limits, and he adds stuff that's we're really not expecting, and. That just that it, it was part of the reason why I liked Knives Out. It, it's part it's it's you take this story that you think you know where it's going, and you just add a bunch of elements, and they all work. The elements that he adds here, they all work. The the humor, the 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 the, the violence, the satirical political stuff, it all comes together and it all works. And I I was a big fan of Mother. But yeah, this, but this one, this one, is, this is very close to mother as far as his is, films go. Yeah. Yes. Yes. About the tone and everything, and the and the big reveals and all that stuff. And this is what I this is what I want when I when I go see a Bong Joon Ho movie. Um, but yeah, I, I I I really loved it. To be clear, that's mother, not mother. The Darren Aronofsky not film. Mother. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Terrence Johnson here to talk about the top ten movies of 2019. Uh, from 10 to 1, number 10, Uncut Gems. Number 9, Giant Little Ones, which was this great indie movie from earlier in the year. Number 8, Pedro Almodovar's Pain and Glory. Number 7, Ready or Not, the funniest movie I saw in theaters this year. Number 6, Savage, a great French film from earlier in the year. Number 5, Avengers Endgame. Number 4, Apollo 11, the great documentary about the space mission. Number 3 is Waves. Number two is Zhang Yimou's Shadow, and number one could not be anything else other than Parasite, um, which is one of the most brilliant movies I've ever seen. Well, speaking of films like this that are kind of unpredictable and what they do involving family units, uh, let's talk about Us a little bit, because that's on my list. And I'm aware that you, I mean, I believe you guys are still (laughs) at least big fans of the movie, even if it's not on your lists. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's outside of the top ten, but it is a good movie. It's one of the best movies of the year. I think I was the only one that was kind of like, fine with it well <laughs> i was a big fan of us i think it i mean what we're talking about with this and parasite and a few other movies honestly even joker um if you want to go to that route marcus as far as kind of the uh, the underclass or the lower class just kind of a, you know a, a separate class of people that are fighting back or taking action or just showing us a reflection of what it is to see the two different kind of uh, haves and have nots going against each other or one you know, being tired of taking it and taking on their own way of doing things. And us is, you know, a pretty perfect example of that as far as doing something very literal by having, you know, the other, a, a another version of yourself living underground coming up and, you know, taking action. Um, there is more detail than that, but I mean, you've probably seen us. It made a whole bunch of money. Uh, the movie though is, I mean, much like we're talking about parasite. I think the, the design of this thing is in, very clever in in how it's presenting something to you that feels unique. It feels fresh. It manages to be go this kind of visceral horror film and the way it does home invasion type stuff, as well as being very funny at times and just having some really interesting ideas it wants to share without. And I thought I've been thinking about this. It doesn't really heavy hand it to you. It's not like, I mean, the movie has some explanation as far as like some kind of basic stuff to be like, okay, I can get on board with this. But at the same time, it doesn't, you know, the movie doesn't end with a, a didactic speech as far as what exactly the theme of this movie is supposed to be. It leaves you with imagery. It leaves you with stuff that's just like showing you, you know, like the Hands Across America thing or what have you. It just shows you ideas that you can kind of go from. Jordan Peele has since, 
kind of like in interviews talked about a little bit more but but the movie itself I really appreciate that it's this kind of ambitious sometimes a little messy but like really interesting like look at society in a you know a way that totally fits into the genre into the horror genre I think every exceptional horror film is always elevated by at least one really galvanizing performance. And mm-hmm. Lupita Nyong'o is the star of the show. Yeah. Um, the the action kind of revolves around her, um, and she she gets the chance to sort of uh, give sort of two performances, and they're it's it's really brilliant the way that she does that, and it. It's not just, you know, great cinema isn't just about like what you say, but sort of how you say it. Um, it's a very evocative horror movie. Um, it's unbelievably stressful. And it, Midsummer was actually higher in my list because I, I think it does that sort of uh, evocative stuff better. But Us is definitely, uh, you know, right there. I mean, it, it just barely missed my top 10. And I think. With that performance and the sort of the evocative uh, style of the film, really elevates this to something quite amazing. I mean, definitely a a horror film or even just a a drama that uh, is going to be talked about for years to come. Yeah, and in terms of the filmmaking, it's it's again one of the best looking movies. Soundtrack is great, score is great. Um, The way that they choreograph some of the things toward the end of the movie is great. Um, and like what you said, Aaron, I think the things that, that sort of stick with me are the lasting images, not so much like the story per se, but you know, the images of the fun house in the dark or, mm-hmm. um, scissors. like, yeah, scissors or like a ballet dance or, you know, um, a doll in which, you know, they're trying to figure out like, well, she just doesn't want to talk anymore. It's like, Oh, that's the, pretty clever. The, the, open, the opening of this movie, the, with the little girl going into the maze and just like the faces she's making as she's experiencing something that we're just not quite aware yeah, of. And yeah. then you get, you get a follow up on that later on. Like there's, yeah, there's right. a lot of just silent, not silent, but like, you know, non-dialogue based imagery that takes place in this movie. And right. yeah, I mean, yes, Nyong'o is very good in this movie. Great supporting, like Winston Duke is great in this movie. I, I was Elis- going <laughs> to Elizabeth Moss and Tim Heidecker are really great <laughs> yeah. in this movie. Oh, that's right. I was going to say, like, that family next, or their their best friend family thing, like, that's like a, a funny thing, but at the same time, like, devastating, but also very scary. It is, like, yeah, like, it, like Moss has a moment where, she, I mean, she doesn't have much to do in this movie, but like, there's a bit where her, like, other self has like, 40 different emotions in one scene and it's just like yeah. this it's a lot to, to, to work with when you have when you when you have to do something like that uh, speaking of winston duke i mean you know he was in black panther and he play, uh-huh. portrays this very sort of kingly you know guy very dominating and everything and then in here he's almost kind of slightly nerdy and sort of <laughs> a family man i mean range it's just like wow Give me more of that, Winston Duke. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's a, speaking he's of which, a very appealing actor, I think. So. Yeah. This is Scott Mendelson of Forbes, and here are my 10 favorite films of 2019. Booksmart, Hustlers, Knives Out, Us, John Wick, Chapter 3, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Shazam, Toy Story 4, Parasite, at 1917. Uh, you guys also brought up Midsummer here, and I'd love to talk about that because yeah, you guys, horror movie. it's Let's on three of, of your lists here. And I, I think that I'm in the Marcus boat on this one in terms of like uh, what he said about us. Uh, I'm, probably, I'm probably the most lukewarm about this movie than you guys are. Midsummer is the film where, where I was talking about films that kind of stuck with me and ended up higher than I expected them to be. I, mm-hmm. re- I really liked Midsummer when I saw it. but but Me too. But 
you know, think about, I was like, yeah, that's, that's a good four star horror movie. Since then I've been like, this is better than that. Like I keep, it doesn't, it hasn't yeah. left to my mind. There's some, there's just something about the way it's presented. That's just really connected with me. And it's weird because it's a movie that's, you know, it's very, I'm going to say dark, even though the movie's set almost entirely in daylight, but it, it, you know, it has dark subject matter involving this cult and like, you know, this relationship on the rock. Like it has so many things that are kind of pushing you against like enjoying yourself. But what I think Ari Aster really cleverly does is make an atmosphere that feels very inviting. Yeah. Even in the midst of various members of this friends group getting killed off, you're, you're still like utterly intrigued by what's taking place here. Even when you mm-hmm. know, like there are, I mean, you're watching this movie thinking it's a cult movie. It's not going to end well. You know right. that. And I think if, I think that maybe that's the buy-in going into this thing because I'm not thinking, I hope they are all able to make it out okay. I'm like, yeah, they're probably going to get like murderized like a bunch and it's going to suck for them. <laughs> <Murderized>. <laughs> so, so like if I can accept that, then I'm just going to go with the flow of the atmosphere of this film. And but, it, but yeah, it presents a but great it's the way it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the way yeah. it happens. And just like, it's just so rich with like detail and ideas of like how it wants to show you this whole society that Baster like wrote to, you know, work for this film. I, I just and really it, liked it. And I think it turns into something else. Like you, you could say like, Oh, it's, it starts off as a, uh, this, this cult thing you think is going to be a cult movie or a thing is going to be a straight up horror or whatever. And it turns into this thing at the end, this kind of like movie about relationships or a movie about, you know, this, this, the arc is t- totally different, even though, you know, it's been going on since the beginning, this, 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 kind of relationship story between the two characters or between the main character and and herself going through this kind of therapeutic Willy Wonka for perverts. <laughs> but I want to talk gonna, about... Is that going to make the box cover? Uh, that, yeah, exactly. I want to talk about uh, Florence Pogue. Uh, I know Mark is a pew. Sorry, pew. I know Mark is a huge fan. I think she is fantastic. She gives my favorite performance all year in this movie i think she's she's she can do pretty much anything i i mean lady macbeth i i've I've liked her since lady macbeth but i think here she gives the full range she has to scream and cry in the in 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 the first 10 minutes of the movie she she has like she has like two meltdowns in this movie she has a meltdown in the very beginning some event and then she has a meltdown later when she discovers something you know kind of unpleasant about her boyfriend i mean when both meltdowns are like cathartic i mean yes. i was just well, like the, on the what's, what's great about that is how the film balances it where in the first one she's basically alone and it's devastating as far as what's right. actually taking place the second one she's with these people she's with and they're all they have their weird commune thing where they're all they all try to share that pain together and it, which is made like what it's one of the main images you see when you see look up images of midsummer of just all these women screaming at with each and other and it, it's it's so like when you're in that scene you're just like perplexed but also intrigued and also scared like well, here's all, the thing that's, there's a lot that's, of emotions going uh, through there, that, there, that there's a lot of scenes like that in this movie where i just like yeah. i get it like it's not like i share yeah. the need to do something like this the main one is like the cliff thing where it's like i just got it like it wasn't a matter of i agree with your <laughs> politics here on this matter it's just more right. like I see where you're coming from with this, and I can accept that the movie is presenting this to me, and I feel right. rather calm about it, which is so weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, 
it's it just came out, so it's it's hard to you know put this movie into context. But if you can look at the the sum total of horror films, The Shining is is an example of a film that it's sort of like a voyage down the rabbit hole, and it and you know bad things are going to happen, and then it it sort of unfolds in this sort of beautifully cinematic, shocking you know way, and that's what Ari Oster does in this film. Mm-hmm. He 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 presents this horror and as we mentioned it's all in bright daylight that's a little bit uh, sort of different and it's this journey and and it when i watched it it's funny because when i walked out of the theater i was sort of like did i even i mean i i knew i i appreciated the movie but it's not a movie that you exactly enjoy but it is something that you can really love because it's just so well done and you know we're we've been asked and we'll talk about this about our favorite scenes of you know the year mm-hmm. i could make a top 10 list of 10 scenes from this film alone yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's, that's, that's what excites right. me and, about ari, ari oster's future because it's like if he can make this and hereditary where their movies that oh, by themselves have so many so things going great. on i look forward yeah. to whatever else he does where it continues to have multi- several at least great scenes from within one movie that you can just highlight and be like Remember that part of this if, movie? Like, if you want more <laughs> weird that... stuff with Ari, go check out the strange thing about the Johnsons on Vimeo. Oh, that's the, 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 awesome! The too. other thing too that that uh, that I think I love about this film. I mean, you mentioned Florence Pugh's performance. She is also somebody that we, the audience, I, I identify with her. She's the one that's kind of like you know, and there and there's scenes that happen where she's absolutely shocked, and her boyfriend is so like terrible <laughs> in this movie yeah. and, and so and then, and of course this all builds to an ending and i think i think the ending is earned because her i mean you have to watch the film but the the boyfriend doesn't even really want to take her on this trip and then he sort of begrudgingly brings her along because she finds out about it mm-hmm. and through the whole trip he's yeah. just like so emotionally vacant You're like and, it's her birthday I'll, I'll, I'll add this he's terrible without being malicious it's right, not right, right. Yes. because it, which well, I think is, but I think, but I think it's important. I think it's important because it's like it it's is. one, it's one thing to make like an out and out antagonist, which he basically is to an extent. Yeah. But he's not like he's not evil. It's not like he's oh, doing things to be like yeah, specifically yeah. evil. But that, that's what makes it a really good like comeuppance but, and also like honest, revenge there are, story. There are people. I mean, there are people that will watch this film that are that guy. I mean, and 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 they're not. I'm not saying they're evil, but you know, they're just sort of like, yeah, I'm. You know, I I I want to go on this trip with my buds, and I'm sort of like, you know, not interested in bringing you along. And but that that's what happens, and then it sort of like unfolds, and 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 she's so, you know, there's she. I mean, her performance is so good in this film, yeah. and I think it's it's a big part of why the film works. Hey guys. Regular guests here, Jimmy O from Joe Blow and Arrow in the Head, and I wanted to give my picks for the best films of the year. Now, I didn't put them in order, so this is this is what you got, but I will save my best for last. The Irishman, The Joker, Knives Out, The Lighthouse, Little Women, come on guys, this movie was amazing, go see it, Marriage Story, Midsommar, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite, and... My favorite film by far this year, this past year, 2019, was 1917. A sprawling epic, amazing film. Go see it when it comes out. It's phenomenal. Have a good 2020, guys. Let's, okay, so we still, none of us have talked about our number one films yet. We'll get there. Let's each do, like, something on one of the other outliers each of us has, because we still have, like, one thing that each of us like does has like is only on one of our lists that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, so let's hear from Marcus. Let's talk about Under the Silver Lake a little bit. All right, finally. 
right. <laughs> now, okay, so so I had heard about this movie the whole all year about how it was super divisive, how it was like this fanboy favorite, how it was like Southland Tales, which I wasn't a big fan of, but I know some people are big. I think Aaron, are you? You're. I'm. Fan I, of yeah. I, I, that's famously one of the films that I was like, I don't like it the first time, and then the second time, I'm like, you know okay. what? This movie's actually pretty good. So, so yeah, when this I saw, movie does this movie does call to mind Southland Hills. You're not right. It just, See, just it, it, insight yeah. into Marcus when he hears super divisive. He <laughs> says, "I'm there. I'm there." Well, okay. So it took me so it took me a while to watch this movie. So I, I started watching it the first time I saw it. I, I don't know that I exactly got it because I was so okay. So just to just to start it, David uh, David Robert, Robert Mitchell uh, directed and wrote and directed uh, It Follows, which I was a huge fan of. Yeah, big fan of that movie. Um huge fan of so this was this is like a film noir crime uh, drama about a young man who becomes infatuated and he's like an unlikable guy he becomes infatuated with this this woman who disappears and he becomes like he, he even though he doesn't even know who she is he finds it his quest to find out what happened to this this woman and um, there's a bunch of really quirky stuff that happens. There's stuff that doesn't even make sense, but lines up perfectly well. And if you if you can get past that, or if you enjoy that, then this will be so enjoyable for you. If that stuff is like, oh wow, how did he find that? Oh wow, I hate this character. Oh wow, stuff is just falling out of the sky for him, or clues are just falling. Then you're gonna. This is gonna be a long trek for you and and, I mean, and you to, you're right you're not wrong you have to get on the wave like the film because it's really trying to dissect <laughs> i think mas- masculinity I think, for one thing and just like the oddities of la like that's what it's yes, going after yes it really yes i i think it i think it has a lot of mahal and drive in it i think it has a lot of yeah. chinatown in it but when i say that i feel like everybody's going to expect that and it's not that it's 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 really layered and I feel like it needs to be dissected. And even if the dissection leads to nothing, I feel like there's a point in that, but see, this is my type of movie that maybe there's no point at all, but go watch the movie. Right. See, I'm not really selling it all that well. <laughs> and I think it's beautifully shot too. I think it's, it's, it's wonderfully shot. He, he has this idea of making this noir uh, in this, universe that's kind of like it was kind of like it follows where there's internet but there's records there's there's like people are don't really people are playing like uh uh what's it super nintendo and it seems like that's the furthest it it got like there's also like you mentioned uh, you mentioned you mentioned the Mulholland Drive. It, it is like if like Lynch made Chinatown by way of brick. Like it has the kind of yeah modernness to it, despite still having retro qualities. And it, it it does it looks great. And and I think it's either you really love it, and it hits you hard right right away with tons of this tons of information, tons of information. And you're either gonna really like these little informational tidbits that some lead to nowhere and some lead to whatever you think they lead to. Or you just bail and you just hate this movie. And I've this is what I've read in the in the in the uh, reviews. And yeah, I really loved it. I went on like Reddit afterwards and was like, oh, what more can I find? But see, not everybody's like that. Not everybody is gonna fanboy over this movie. All right. Well, yes. <laughs> fair enough. Hey everybody, this is uh, Jim 
from uh, Jim Dietz from uh, and the HHWLOD Podcast Network. I'm just here to briefly give you my top 10 uh, movies from 2019. Uh, Aaron and Abe were gracious enough to invite me to uh, share those with you, so I shall. These are not in any particular order. First film I'd like to mention is Shadow. What a beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, Dolomite is my name. The triumphant return of Eddie Murphy, uh, but also the scene-stealing power of Wesley Snipes. Uh, Apollo 11, uh, great documentary. Uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, I'm a big kaiju fan. Uh, Jojo Rabbit, very uh, very thoughtful and, and just great. There's nothing else like it this year. Uh, an independent movie that I saw on, on Shudder that's called Tigers Are Not Afraid. And if you have a chance to see this movie, do so. It's just really well thought out and just... Uh, a movie that's just, it can be, it's horrifying and beautiful by turn. Um, Us, uh, what else could I say about Jordan Peele's Us that hasn't already been said? Uncut Gems, uh, I just saw this like about three days ago and it just made my list. Parasite, I, I again, I don't need to say anything else about that, everybody else has, it's, it was just a great film. And Avengers Endgame, because in, in the final analysis, as it were, I am a big old geek, and it was cool to see um, such a big geeky thing happen on the screen, something I never thought in a million years would happen. Thank you so much for my time. Uh, it was a great year for film in 2019, and I can't wait to see what the, the next year holds. Uh, thanks to Aaron and Abe for uh, for this. Thanks. Mark, <laughs> talk about the Peanut Butter Falcon a little bit. So Peanut Butter Falcon is a very sweet sort of human film. Um, it is, actually stars Shia LaBeouf, one of Marcus's favorites. And... Uh, it's it's very it's very sweet and traditional, but it's it's just about people, and I think the portrait it it essentially tells about this young man with Down syndrome, and he wants to be a professional wrestler, and I just found his it's it's hard to explain because it sounds very sort of simple and 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 very reactionary traditional you know but it but it's also it, it extracts emotion in the most s- simple way and I, there was just a, a very there's a heart to it and i just i really responded to the film in a way that made me embrace it i think the whole cast is good um actually uh shia labeouf and dakota johnson uh, also have sort of supporting parts to the gentleman, and they sort of go on this trip uh, down the water. It's a little bit. Uh, it's been compared to um, the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Yeah, and it's and I think that's, a, that's yeah. Then I think that's a that's a valid comparison because it, it has that sort of the the narrative has that sort of structure. Uh, it's also got Bruce Dern in it. Bruce Dern has been in so many films this year that I really enjoy, yeah. uh, and uh, this is one of them. Um, it's also got John Hawks and Thomas Haddon Church, and I, I think that the fact that all of these people showed up for this film speaks to the quality of the screenplay. I, th- I think it's it's mm-hmm. really good, and uh, yeah, I don't really know what more to say about it. I, I just think it, it it just it seemed like a very pure film, and and I, I just really like that about it. I can agree mm. with that. It's one that it's one of the easier ones to recommend as far as like what's a, a what's like a smaller film that you might not have heard of, but like ha- is really likable in a lot of ways. You, can, I, you, it, you know, you can recommend this to anybody, uh, you know, the, like Uncut Gems, you might have to think about it. But but this you can tell. No, you know, I force what, people to watch Uncut Gems. <laughs> <laughs> is this like would you say this is like the feel good movie of the year? I, you know, I don't I don't use phrases like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't. But I mean. Because it has certain elements where it's like, okay, well, there's a <laughs> there's a subplot in there. It's like it does, that's not very feel good. But I mean, it it does have a nice it's like a nice messaging to it. I, what I think, I mean, for, was it Zach God is God's again? 
he is very good. Um, yeah, he an, really actor, is. An, an actor with Down syndrome, but like just having him in this movie, he he does a great job. But LaBeouf is really good too. Like he, yes, it's, yeah. this is the, I I watched this and it's been a it's been a minute since I, I think it was maybe American Honey was the last thing I was, which was like well, last year whatever. But mm. I mean, just seeing him being like pure charisma in a way I haven't seen in a while. And it's not like he's like playing the nicest of characters, but there are some moments where he's just kind of like chatting with some of the other characters, and it's like that's why this guy like works in movies when he works when he's on. Like it's not about the stunts he needs to do to like make make a role work. It's just about how naturally charismatic he seems to be, and he really has and that in this film. There's there's a quiet moment where Shia LaBeouf and Dakota Johnson are, are sort of meeting each other for the first time in a in a little uh, store. You know, like a convenience store. And just that interaction, it's hard for me to put into words what it is about that. But as I was watching them and this the thing play out, I just felt like I really like this. I really, I like these people and I, and I, I like I really I hope, you know, I hope good things happen to this this trio uh, as they make their way down the, the river because they just seem like people I, I want to know and, and spend time with. What is going on, everybody? My name is Philip Price. I run a YouTube channel called Tavern Talk by Initial Reaction. Would definitely appreciate it if you guys check it out. And, you know, if you like what you're seeing, give it a, a click on the subscribe button. But as for my top 10 favorite movies of 2019, we'll start with number 10. It was Ready or Not. Number 9 was The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Number 8 was Dark Waters. Number 7 is Booksmart. And number 6 is Joker. Uh, number five is Parasite. Number four is Avengers Endgame. Number three, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number two, Knives Out. And number one was Uncut Gems. Uh, thank you, Aaron and Abe, for letting me shout out my top ten. Hope to talk to you guys soon. Happy New Year. Abe, talk about this yeah. dumpster fire that was Toy Story 4 that no one has on their list. Nobody, nobody's seen this movie. It's very small. <laughs> Abe, I really I, I love the fact that it is in your top ten because I, I think it's it's worthy of it. Yeah, I, I, again, one of the things that I had here as I was looking through it was things that didn't, that took me by surprise. And Toy Story 4, we all were expecting it, um, some more than others in terms of just the, the levels of uh, expectation, I suppose. But what I liked about it is that I didn't expect it to be a Woody story, and I didn't expect it to be a story about a closure of Woody's story, if that makes sense. I mean, Toy Story 3 was like, hey, this is the end of Andy's arc. Um, hey, Andy's, Andy's our dude and so long partner kind of thing. And now we're friends with, uh, I forget her name, but um, yeah, we're friends with Bonnie now. And the the fourth one here, I was like, well, where can they go from here? Like, what are this? Just more adventures of, of toys being toys and having fun? Slinky's like, Origins? Yeah, Slinky, Slinky. <laughs> I'd watch it. <laughs> Slinky's Origins? I'd love it. Uh, they have to reanimate, uh, what's his face? Um, Ernest, we have to recoil him. Yeah, but um, what I liked about it is that it uh, was a movie that really did catch me off guard. I was like, oh wow, I didn't expect them to go so heavy on this Woody thing, but also with the Bo Peep arc, and then also going with the supposed villain in the movie too, and how everything is neatly, neatly packaged in this way that was mature, and that it wasn't so much about just having fun and hijinks and whatever else. There's a lot of themes here about love, loss, you know, letting go, living your own life, um, growing up and moving out and moving on. And, and I was like, wow, this is really a deep cut for a movie that I that I wasn't, uh, you know, wholeheartedly thinking that it was going to be like this. And the technical aspects of this movie are also spectacular. I mean, you talk about cinematography. You don't have to do any of this stuff for a, a, 
3D animated movie. And yet they take so much care in the way that the fireworks explode and the shadows hit, the way that they're looking out beyond in the dark and the way that the store, like the refraction of light in the storefront with the the moonlight. And I was like, there's so much care and, and you know, a thought put into this. It's really, really well done. And the end of the movie itself is just like, this is, this is fantastic. I mean, I, I didn't really expect it to be this way, but it is. Can I, I just want to add a couple of things. Yeah. I love the fact that it, so it's like a sequel to part three, but it really is a new beginning. I mean, it's it's almost starting a brand new story, and it introduces several new characters, and all the new characters are great. There's Forky, um, which is sort of one thing. There's this pull string doll named Gabby Gabby. She's yeah. also I, I won't go into the there's no need to recount what she does, but but it's she's an interesting character. Uh, Keanu Reeves gives another one of his great performances of the year in a voice role as Duke Kaboom, which is kind of like a like an evil Knievel uh, toy. He's Canadian. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then and then uh, Keegan Michael Key and Jordan Peele oh. play Ducky and Bunny. Some of yes. the funniest things uh, the little their little uh, conversations and and interactions. Some of the funniest things I saw in 2019. So I mean there's a really a lot to enjoy about this film. It's Toy Story 4 and I wish I almost feel like I wish they had called it something else because the title seems it's the only tired thing about the film is uh Toy Story 4. <laughs> but the film itself is so fresh and so wonderful. They're yes. still doing it i mean pixar I, I i never i should never doubt them i um i don't have much to add as far as the it's a pixar movie with deep themes that will make you know adults think about stuff because you, anybody can say that and maybe you've done that really well i'll just add to what mark is saying the movie's hilarious like in addition to being like yeah it's emotional <laughs> yeah. and whatnot blah, blah, blah. i mean <laughs> that's fine yeah. but it's also one of the funniest movies of the year <laughs> the to go one of my movie moments is the the plush rush with Juggy yeah. and Bunny because right. it's, it's the most I've all laughed. scenarios it's the most I, I it's the most I've laughed in a theater all year long it's so funny but the movie all over is funny the buzz yep. is inner voice thing is really funny the, like they're uh. Vorky is great I mean every like it's such a funny movie that's that's the other thing that the main the other thing I took away from the movie is that it's hilarious like it's it, it it crafts a great story about woody at all but it's also just frequently really funny which is great um yeah so toy story yeah that i mean that's another one that's like yeah that's great like i i wish i had the space to make you know yeah. 10 10 into 18 but i can't quite really do that so um i'll just go real quick over a high-flying bird um, which we mentioned earlier, it's a Steven Soderbergh film. It's written by Terrell Alvin McCraney, who uh, was he co-wrote Moonlight and has an Oscar for doing such a thing. It, this movie's great. I talked about this when it came out back in February on the Netflix, um, but I, I, it just stuck with me all year. It's just something about the rhythm of this whole film, the the dialogue, the way it like goes into the world of basketball and the sports agents and like the, the business side of basketball and i'm not a you know as much as abe knows that i'm a huge sports guy i'm not like <laughs> much of a sports guy right, so it's like the fact that i can be in on the kind of inside baseball or inside basketball approach to dealing with this sport and the ins and outs of it and like what it means to you know be in high demand and have agents and all that like having dialogue to deal solely with that kind of storyline and like what andre what andre holland's character is doing to kind of push himself forward as well as help out some of the other players like it's great it, i was just so happy to follow along with this thing and just like see where this thing goes and it, i mean from a technical standpoint as you like to point out abe it's also great like it's another yeah. one of the films where soderbergh shot on iphone but un unlike um 
Unsane. Unsane. Marcus's favorite movie last year. I hate uh, just he I absolutely <laughs> loved it. He can't stop watching it. Um, it. This movie is much much better looking. Like that movie, I think yes, was very deliberately. True. It was very deliberately not like welcome. That whatever. Unsane's whatever it is. This movie looks great. It. What I like. It like it, it's it it's set in New York and it manages to kind of encompass New York in a way that looks unique, but never really. It doesn't call attention to itself in a way where it's like, well, that's an iPhone. Like, it looks like a great movie. And the way it, like, even when you're inside offices or apartments, it has a unique way of presenting these scenes. So, like, it has a style to it without feeling like it's a gimmick. It's not trying to, like, show you, like, yeah, look what the iPhone could do. It's just more like, look how great this movie looks. And that's the vibe I got throughout this thing. In the mix of, yes, having Andre Holland, who's terrific in this movie. I wish he got yeah. more attention because he's absolutely fantastic in the lead role. As well as, you know, the supporting. You have uh, Sanja Sohn from The Wire, um, Z- uh, Zachary Quinto. Bill Duke is great in this movie. Bill Duke has a number yeah. of scenes where he just, like, kind of monologues. And everyone's just like, I guess we got to listen to Bill Duke now. And he's great. Um and being a basketball movie, there's no basketball in this movie. There's no actual basketball playing in this film. It's during lockouts. They do yeah. bat. They do bounce a basketball a couple. Of they, times. Yeah, there's some bounce. There's some dribbling. But like, yeah, but you, yeah, hear, it, you it, hear Bill Duke sitting in a in a in a practice. Uh, yeah. Did you mention Zazie Beats? Yeah, Zazie. Yeah, Zazie Beats is in there too. You know, Joker. From, Marcus is from the Joker. Number, yeah. number eight film, Joker. <laughs> She's in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, but it, yeah, it just has so much going for it, and it's so quick and snappy. I, I, I love a good like. It's not quite a screwball comedy, but I love a movie that has a quick snappiness to it like just something that just like you're into it you want to see it go and the movie just feels like it's go 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 and just yeah i was just really taken by this movie cool hi this is anna and these are my top 10 films for 2019 starting at 10 the aeronauts 9 Pavarotti, 8 apollo 11 7 united skates 6 how to Drain Your Dragon, colon, The Hidden World. Five, A Hidden Life. Four, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Three, Ford v. Ferrari. Two, Jojo Rabbit. And at number one, 1917. And I chose 1917 as my number one film of 2019 because it is a masterpiece and a true technical achievement. It's a simple story of endurance Nicely developed thanks to the great usage of cinematography and editing to immerse the viewer in a world seemingly taking place within one continuous shot. Great performances as well, just terrific all around, and truly the best picture of 2019. We haven't talked about the, I guess, three films that made up our number one picks for the year. Let's talk about 1917 for a bit, because that movie has made two of your number ones, uh, Mark and Abe. Yeah. Mark, Mark, I'd, I'd love for you to to uh, take the lead on this because I just did uh, like an hour and a half podcast last week about it. Uh, okay, so I mean, 1917. I wasn't prepared for how great this film would be. I, you know, it, it's a World War One story, and we get we World War Two is detailed a lot. World War One less so, but we get, we've got we've had Dunkirk, we've had. You know, uh, Saving Private Ryan. We have all these kind of things. I, I would say that 1917, it it may rank as one of my favorite war movies of all time. At some wow. point, I mean, it is just masterful. And I think maybe a big part of that is the cinematography. Uh, it is this um, very immersive film. You know, it's uh, Roger Deakins did this cinematography, and then anybody who knows Roger Deakins is a master. Uh, and I know that he, for the longest time, he hadn't been, he hadn't won an Oscar, and he finally did. 
I would be shocked if he doesn't get nominated, and I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't win another Oscar for this film. This cinematography is stunning. It is shot as if it is filmed in one continuous shot. And the camera sort of like – it does these like 360-degree swoops and things around the actors. There's things happening. There's a, a part where a, a plane, an enemy plane flies towards them, and it's almost like something out of North by Northwest. It crashes uh-huh. the – characters like interact and 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 that has dire consequences and and it's like and, and, it, and it's such emotional i mean and and that scene there's something where somebody's trying to help somebody out and 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 there's lots of scenes like this and it's just one after and i don't think i've ever i shouldn't say ever because I, there's lots of great war movies but definitely one of the films that put me in the in the in the feeling like i am there in the trenches with these guys war i mean of course there's lots of great movies about war as hell mm-hmm. and and this is definitely one of them but i i don't know how often i felt like i was like there on the field uh, and it's just there's one scene after another i i don't know it's it's, it's just such an emotional experience i i like held my breath you know at certain parts of this film um it 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 develops into a, 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 a towards an ending i mean they're basically trying to get a message across speak, it's a very I, i'm sorry but speak to the emotion part of it because i i because i mean it's on my top 10 list as well i yeah. mean speak but like i know there's of the criticisms i've heard it's like some people just didn't feel like attached to the movie as far as the characterization or what have you go like they felt like it was a great exercise from a technical level but it like had less going for it as far as that emotional quality but you're saying that you did feel, and i i agree with you i did feel emotional. I agree. An emotional too. attachment, but like we're go, go into that a little bit. Well, I mean, so the, these two guys are sort of picked uh, at. I, I guess there is a reason, but the, one of the guys has a, a brother, and and so he he has that attachment, and so they're sort of selected. But you know, it's it's sort of like it's almost like a suicide mission, and I mean, and just from a human standpoint, you sort of feel like, oh gosh, they're they're going to have to do this, but they they take on the the role, they're going to do it, and they 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 begin this journey, and the two of them are sort of supporting each other, and. I got caught up in just their, you know, their desire to to do the right thing and and to to, to deliver this message. And I think there, there's at one point in the movie, uh, George McKay, uh, he meets a woman and and uh, she has a baby, and that scene is very. I mean, you could say it's man, it's manipulative because it's like it's a woman and a baby and it's at war and you know she's. How can you not feel for that? But I don't know how anyone can watch that scene and and not feel some emotion uh, and and what's going on in there and and how he's trying to like help her out and 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 her situation and and there's lots of set pieces where he comes into contact with you know various people and and I think those interactions really i don't know they they made me feel like you know what he's going through and and just to echo on that um i understand that some folks and this is not us telling you how to feel it's like you can feel however you want to feel but i understand that some folks are saying well you know it's just two people and i don't really have a, a weird attachment to them if you don't that's so that's okay but to be honest it's just about if you don't experience this the the way that this person is experiencing it, then maybe maybe uh, reexamine it from that light, right? Like you don't have to necessarily like, know who this person is or you know know their backstory, but they are going through a lot in this movie in seemingly no, one or two takes. Um, and like what Mark was saying, the humanity aspects of things they might be they might be um, what you call it uh, page fillers and or like you know cheap cuts so to speak, so uh, quote unquote, but they're great. You know, that scene that Mark was just talking about there with the, uh, the woman, it's like this, it's a nice reprieve, 
but it really just gets you right back into the story because something else happens in there and then you're just back in back into it it's it's nothing like um it's nothing like um cheap or anything like that it's really just like the more is hell yeah what mark is saying but it's a it's a beautiful story well, i'm just gonna add one mm-hmm. thing just to that if the character i mean the character the guys are soldiers they're they're not you know these aren't i mean i don't know what like they're not supposed to be emotional people they're 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 soldiers are supposed to be sort of like emotionless driven to do their task at hand so i think that's what they are so i think I expected them to be somewhat emotionless because that's you almost have to separate your emotion in order to to do this. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think it's less about like if the characters feel emotional, more about just like what an audience's what some audience's response is as far as looking at a movie that's you know the technical design of it is very obviously a big highlight and like how that plays into a movie where you have to deal with characters in a real-time scenario, so it's not like you get to have a deep characterization of them. I would disagree because I do think you get a lot to go with within the span of time that you spend with these characters, despite being set in, you know, one continue, you know, in a real time scenario. And, right. but also it just speaks to what movies are to me. I, I mean, it's, it's the same argument that I see where it's like, well, boyhood wouldn't be anything if they made it, you know, without having 12 years. Like, well, that's not what the movie is though. If you take that out of it, it's not boyhood anymore. It's some other movie. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. Somebody could do that. And that's, that's whatever that is, but that's not the movie I saw. I saw the movie where Richard Linklater filmed over 12 years. And this is the result I got. I saw 1917, which is a movie. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have multiple cuts. It's one giant take. I mean, and that's, if you, yeah, you could take that away and be like, it's just another war. It's like, well, that's not 1917 anymore. I mean, it's, so it's, I, I, I come into this looking at it and like, yeah, I'm examining this movie, and what I saw was something that's incredibly compelling from start to finish, from all aspects, all avenues you can look at as far as the, yeah, the the technical proficiency of Sam Mendes and his team, uh, as well as like the actors on display. I think I do think George McKay and Dean Cha- Charles Chaplin are Chapman are really good in this movie in what they have to do, which is convey a variety of different kinds of thoughts and emotions within mm-hmm. the span of t- within a short span of time since you only spend two hours with these people you haven't spent you don't you didn't see them go into war and how they're experiencing what have you you're seeing a day you're so less than a day you're seeing yeah you're, you're like seeing eight a, hours you're less than that you're, you're seeing, yeah, i mean yeah. based on what happens <laughs> sure i guess there's like some there's a time jump but i mean yeah you're seeing this movie and it's like and events happen that it's like yeah it's hard. It might be hard to believe that one person could experience all the things that would take place, but this isn't a documentary. It's a it's a stylish film about a horrible war that took place. And from what was shown to me, it's amazing. Like it's amazing to watch this on a big screen and think a director did this. A director's like, I'm gonna mm. put, I'm gonna write this thing out, and I'm gonna get a bunch of people together, and I'm gonna make a movie that looks like this. And that's yeah. incredible to me. That's an, that's an incredible accomplishment. Yeah, I, I know that you know Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins can do great work. I thought Skyfall was a a great film but so i shouldn't be surprised but i was kind of blown away by how good this was i sort of go into these war movies like oh gosh another war movie you know and this is for me something i was just like i mean it's i would i liked it even more than these movies but you know people who love uh saving private ryan and dunkirk i i, I it's at least in that class i mean i, I i'm interested I, to see I, what I happens <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to see what happens because it hasn't even gone wide yet so it's you know uh, it goes wide january 10th and then i I'm, I'm curious to see like how it does at the box office you know i mean i think it's going to be a hit honestly i do i, 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 I think, hope I, so yeah i, I think well, it fits, at least two more times i think it so. fits in that kind of like it's it's satisfying as a kind of a story experience and satisfying as far as a i haven't seen something like that in the movies before experience i think yeah. that's going to work as well as it does when the 
because we do get kind of military films at the beginning of the year. That tends to be a thing. Right. And I think this is going to fit the kind of not necessarily like American Sniper a billion dollars, but I mean, it's going to I think it's going to, you, you know, oh, I think it's going to land pretty well. You, you, you and you can't underestimate the technical aspects. I mean, oh, no, the aside from the cinematography, which we talked about a lot, the score uh, by Thomas. Oh, Newman it's great. Is, yeah. yeah, it's iconic. I mean, this is like John Williams in his prime. I mean, it is just like. I, I, I just, I mean, I was just emotionally, like, I, I wrote in my review, there was no film that gave me as visceral a reaction of any picture that I saw last year as this. It just, it blew me away. I was there just, you go. Yeah. yeah. Half a billion dollars for American Sniper. I, I, want, I want to make sure I was clear. I think I got a just billion? a billion dollars. Yeah, I was like, it, it, it did make a, a lot of movie? It, it made $350 million in domestic, which is That's more than most Marvel movies domestic, but anyway. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Abe. Hi, Out Now listeners. This is Brandon Peters from... Cult Cinema Cavalcade and Why So Blue, giving out my 10 favorites, parentheses, best films of 2019 as we head into 2020. Uh, number 10, Shazam. Number 9, Her Smell. Number 8, Marriage Story. Number 7, Book Smart. Number 6, Us. Number 5, Uncut Gems. Number 4, Parasite. Number 3, Knives Out. Number two, Midsommar, and coming in at number one, Once Upon a Time, dot, 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 space in Hollywood. All right, thanks, you. Can't wait for some more awesome movies in 2020. Back to you, Abraham. Aaron, yeah, talk about uh, Once Upon a Time. I mean, it's a new Quentin Tarantino movie. Now, it's I, I can't, <laughs> I'm not going to say, like, this was automatically going to be in my number one, but it's like, the guy's track record is pretty strong with me. I, I just, what, the things I, he does in movies when, work for me. I have this picked <laughs> as your number one. And I, like, yeah, going into the year, I'm thinking, the, if I wanted to bet on myself, I'm not going to deny that. Yeah, Tarantino's going to rank pretty high. Like that's what's going to happen. But he was did Django deliver. and uh, Inglorious number one. Inglorious. I mean, Inglorious is one of my favorite movies ever. So yes, that was my number one. Django was my number one. Uh, Hatefully, it was my number two because Mad Max Fury Road exists. Um, okay. So, <laughs> but um, but no. Once upon a time, what surprised me about this one was how sweet it was. It's such a. I mean, in addition to having the various things I expect from a Tarantino movie as far as, you know, catchy dialogue and style and uh, you know, especially now because it's set in the 70s as opposed to kind of his historical period that he was taking where you can't really make pop culture references. This movie, back in a certain time period, you can make a lot of pop culture references and it's doing that all over the place. It's showing a lot of his cinematic uh, homages, his education that he's had through movies and putting that on to sc- transferring it to screen to make this what's been said many times, a love letter to Hollywood. But that stands to reason because it is a very thoughtful film. In addition to having, getting into areas that are like, look at the extremeness we can take these scenes, these scenes. He has a film that's very just presentational. It wants to show you this life in, through the eyes of very specific people, DiCaprio right. and Pitt, as well as Marco Robbie as Sharon Tate. And the way you see these things, is just so like, it, it has the it has the vibe of what I like what I like about Jackie Brown, one of my favorite movies ever, and Pulp Fiction, while also having the kind of the tech the the directorial skill he brought to Inglorious Bastards, which did feel like a kind of a step in a new direction for him as far as how he's constructing his movies, and the combination of that just made something that just feels incredible incredibly watchable to me. I, I the movies quite long and there's rumors of like him putting it onto Netflix in the same way he put hatefully to make an even longer cut. I can I can take all of that like it's it's so much about character and detail and the story is like, yeah, there's a, there's a, for me, there was a compelling story as well, but just like being in this world was so absorbing 
And I can't say that like every movie needs to be watched multiple times to get it because that's not fair. If you, I mean, that's that's how some people do things. So some people don't. I was into it the first time, but at the same time, it's so rich with ideas and detail in the mm-hmm. background of just him making these movies, like like showing the pro- showing the production of making TV, like the Lancer show that DiCaprio's on and what have you. Where watching it multiple times only deepens my appreciation for it because of just how much he invested to this. It just feels like a a rich novel that he's made into this epic cinematic feature that represents everything he loves about this time period. And the performances are just top notch all over yeah. the place. I mean, I, I I look forward to Brad Pitt being among people nominated for Oscars and ideally winning because he's very he's just great in this movie. Uh, DiCaprio's fantastic as well. Uh, uh, Robbie's very great as well. I mean, they're Pacino's so fun in like the brief scenes that he has. I mean, there's all over the place. It's like everyone wanted to sign up for this thing probably because they just live close to the set because it's in Hollywood. But I mean, it just works out really well. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you love movies and if you love uh, like Hollywood, this is a movie about Hollywood, and it's <laughs> great. <laughs> that almost sounded like a knock. No, 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 it's not. But this it, is a movie. It's, it's really like, but but uh, you know, to Aaron's point, it's a breezy movie. Yeah, sure, the ending gets a little bit wild, but it's not like. You know, I, if you see if you know Tarantino, it's Tarantino, but I, it's very subdued, almost like a Jackie Brown type that I wasn't expecting it to be this laid back and cool. Uh, and then you see it and you're just like, yeah, I, I dig this movie. So even speaking I, to that, speaking to the ending where, yes, there is a, an extreme violence that takes place, which is there's a sense of dread in that regard that, as far as where things are leading, because you have an idea based off the idea of history. But. It's the it's what follows that that also really hammers down on what he's trying to do. It's not about explosive final act as far as violence goes, but like what happens next that I really also responded to. What it does as far as presenting this kind of fantastical version of events and what that means for certain people. Uh, even people that aren't in the movie, people that are what they're thinking about the characters involved. I'm trying not to avoid spoilers for whatever reason, but like the characters involved <laughs> in that ending sequence, that means something. That's something that does feel touching as far as well, what if this? And that's what movies can be. That's what something like, I mean, we're just talking about 1917. It's not that it's unrealistic that like a guy can go through, you know, a sniper attack, a plane flying at him, bombs going off next to him and surviving. It's that the fact that it's a movie, you can do that. And that's what you can do in this. You can show a person that continues to have a life beyond what might have actually happened because, hey, it's the movies. And that's something that I think he's trying to tap into. And really presents a, a unique perspective in that matter. Same with Inglorious Bastards. The same kind of thing there as far as, well, what if this? And why not? Yeah. There's no rule that says I can't do that. And I really like that kind of exploration. And what a Bruce, great summary. Bruce Dern is in the movie. <laughs> we'll, in, we'll get to Bruce Dern soon. In one of the <laughs> tensest sequences of the whole year. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I, I was I was cooler on the film, but I do think that Brad Pitt is great. And if he wins the Oscar, which, I mean, he's definitely going to be nominated for supporting actor, I think uh, it would be well-deserved. Because that scene with Brad Pitt uh, picks up a teen hitchhiker, and and then she invites him back to this ranch of George Spahn, who's played by Bruce Dern, that scene is really like like you said it's very intense and it's mm-hmm. yeah you're, you're riveted to the screen and and everything that happens surrounding that i really like was there for we have mm-hmm. a super long episode about it from back in july so i don't need to go too far into the yeah, yeah. Movie. but i think there are a lot of like really interesting ideas that go along with the general presentation of this film hey everyone uh this is peter and here are my films 2019 number 10 dolomite is my name number nine midsummer which i liked better than hereditary Number eight, Hustlers. Number seven, Little Women, 
which I liked better than Lady Bird. Number six, Climax. I am such a sucker for a dance film, and this one was dark and crazy. Number five, Uncut Gems. Number four, Booksmart, which was one of the best-looking teenager films I've seen probably since Ghost World. And also, I love that there weren't uh, really any villains. Number three, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which everyone loves, and I second and third that. Number two, Parasite, another movie that everyone loves, and yeah, it's pretty perfect. And my number one is Marriage Story, um, which in some ways you could argue is kind of just a play, but it is a play and a movie in the best way possible, uh, and I've already seen it twice. Okay, well, let's talk Let's talk to Marcus about why he likes these devastating people so much oh, with Marriage wow, Story. Yes. Oh, well, this is my type of movie, and, and, and one wouldn't think it uh, with a movie that contains not one person of color, but, you know... <laughs> Some of the people in the theater group are, are it's black. Like right next, it's right next to Loose. Well, uh, but what is right up my alley is and this Summer, movie. The whitest like, of movies that you have. Exactly. <laughs> What's going on? That has one one guy. The, yeah. <laughs> this movie is punch me in the gut, and then when I was on the ground, it just kept kicking me. And that's like my type of movie. I I love to see the emotion of these two characters um everybody's fantastic in it but as as basically they go through this divorce um where a kid is involved and they live in multiple locations they go to this this divorce and you basically see them stab each other and 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 poke at each other and bloodshed and and it and it's it's for me this is worse than war it's 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 it's, it's like this i got this real uh, I got like that visceral response that Mark got when he was watching uh, 1917, when 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 uh, Adam Driver and Scarlett are in that room together and they're following each other back and and forth, and the the arguments are escalating and things are coming out that just you can't take back, and you 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 know this stuff was written on on paper, but the way it was delivered is just so perfect. Everything together is coming together so perfectly in this film and that's why it's my number one adam driver is fantastic he's yeah i i i think he's he has the best male performance of the year when when kylo ren gets to exegol and all the knights of ren start kicking him that that's that's that was marriage story in a nutshell (laughs) (laughs) the beatdown that he gets he's just getting kicked he's getting kicked repeatedly by all his knights of ren (laughs) that was exactly marriage story (laughs) exactly you're you're, you're not wrong adam driver i think is absolutely i mean the the the, it's a plethora of great actors' performances, but like the divorce lawyers with Alan Alda, Lauren Dern, uh, and Ray Laura Liotta. Dern, really Golden Globe, too. <laughs> Golden Globe winning Laura Dern. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Just, but yeah, all over the place is a good. At- Wallace Shawn turns up just to be like, I'm gonna be funny. Like, just, oh yeah, like, <laughs> what's his purpose here except just be like cast member who's like won Oscars and Tonys and like had sex with every model. <laughs> it, the purpose is he's a theater guy and he's very very obviously shorter than adam driver so it's like this is great <laughs> like why why not have wallace Shawn in the scene right <laughs> two wallace Shawns make one adam driver and, so. and merit weaver is in it she has to deliver the 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 uh you know the summons or whatever to him oh and yes that, that another scene is hilarious <laughs> yes yes 
comedic tension. Oh, great, a great comedic tension. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. I love the way, I have to say, I love the way the movie begins, where uh, you hear Scarlett Johansson, as her characters, uh, Scarlett Johansson's declaration about all the things that she loves about her husband. And then you, you, you uh, also hear his uh, you know, things that he loves about her. And then you realize that these are actually just the mo- inner monologues of a letter that their therapist has asked them to write about the mm-hmm. other and then it sort of takes it from there. And I thought that was kind of an interesting, you know, uh, and then it actually uh, it, it has uh, it also uh, comes up near the end. Yeah, it has a way of coming back, which I think. Yeah, in sort of a beautifully way, in a beautiful way. The the screenplay, I mean, it's all it's just really like one of the best of it. This didn't make my top 10, but it is in my top 20. And, and I think the, the screenplay is among the very best of the year. Yeah, and the only thing I want to add to this is something that you mentioned, Marcus. Um, when movies make you feel uncomfortable or they, they kind of make you feel something, um, that's, a, that's a good thing. I, I do like when, when the writing is able to convey that and then the, the acting is able to pull it off because um, that just means that uh, it's affecting you in a way that, that you maybe the director intended, but also that you're sort of resonating with it in some degree. So all those courtroom scenes, I was like, this is awful, and like I don't even want to be here. And what, what makes it... This is what Aaron and I talked about too. They also have a lot of funny things in it because when the when the the camera pans out of that courtroom scene, you're just like, oh, there's actually like 40 other people in this courtroom waiting to go and, and see the judge as well. So there, there's just a lot of really good um, emotional beats in this that make you feel uh, good, bad, you know, cringeworthy. Um, you feel the tension, and you kind of feel like this weird, um, this saccharine sweetness uh, maybe uh, toward the end too. It's, I, it's weird. I, it's weird how comfortable you feel listening to Alan Alda spell things out exactly yeah. how they want to be, and yet you have Adam Driver, who's like, you, 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 you want it to work out. You want things to be like, let's make this as painless as possible, just as they said they wanted to do to begin with. And you're watching yeah. Alan Alda tell him how it's going to play out, and you're watching Adam Driver be like. I, I I'm gonna make these decisions anyway. It's just it's so it's exasperating, is what it is. Yeah. It, not as much as Uncut Gems, my fifth favorite movie of the year, but <laughs> I, fourth favorite movie. But I mean, it's still like it just gets at you where it's like there's a way everyone could resolve these things, but because you have very specific people involved, it's just not gonna go that way, and you can't right. shake them. You can't shake them and say just live in Neil A. Like it's it's just it's not happening. <laughs> like, yeah. So good good choice there, Mary. Sorry. Right. What, what, real quick, let's recap. Let's recap our top ten again. Just let's just say, just know it. Know that. Just say the top. So, Marcus, just read out your top ten again, just so we can recap over the listeners. Okay. Okay. Uh, number ten, Knives Out. Nine, Jojo Rabbit. Eight, Joker. Seven, Under the Silver Lake. Six, Book Smart. Five, The Irishman. Four, Parasite. Three, Midsummer. Two, Loose. And one, Marriage Story. Mark. Ten, The Farewell. Nine, The Mustang. Eight, The Peanut Butter Falcon. Seven, Booksmart. Six, Ford versus Ferrari. Five, Waves. Four, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Three, Midsummer. Two, Jojo Rabbit. And one, 1917. I have Shadow at number 10, Transit, number 9. Number 8 is 1917. Number 7 is Midsommar. Number 6 is High Flying Bird. Number 5 is Us. Number 4 is Uncut Gems. Number 3 is Parasite. Number 2 is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And number 1 is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 10, Toy Story 4. 9, Last Black Man in San Francisco. 8, Knives Out. Or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Number 7, Knives Out. 6, Marriage Story. 5, Little Women. 4, Booksmart. 3, Jojo Rabbit. Two, the farewell, and number one, nineteen seventeen. 
Let's um, any honorable mentions real quick. Kind of just like and not in any order, but Ford versus Ferrari, um, mm-hmm. Parasite, uh, Ad Astra, uh, and honestly, Detective Pikachu. I would say uh, Rocket Man, um, Nightingale, which I just saw, which is uh, I loved it, and uh, Babu Frank. <laughs> just the character, not the movie. movie. Just, the character. Just, yeah. just the character. <laughs> Marketing. Uh, so I'll just name a couple. So I mean, I I have things that were in my the top twenty that we've talked about, but things that haven't gotten any mention at all. I I really enjoyed Spider Man: Far From Home, mm-hmm. uh, The Art of Self Defense, uh, Blinded by the Light, and Judy. I those last three, all of them are like one of those has to be, and I went with Art of Self Defense as my prediction. I thought you I thought you'd go for that for your in your top <laughs> ten list. Um, I yeah, I have a whole. But I have like a 50 ranked eventually on my actual top 10 list, but I'll list like these top 10. Uh, Dolomite is my name. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Ford vs. Ferrari. Yes. The Farewell. <laughs> Monos. Apollo 11. Uh, a Hidden Life. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And The Irishman and Marriage Story. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of great movies all over the place. Let's um, let's move into some category stuff. I asked you guys if we can go over some some of the best performances of the year, some surprises, disappointments, some uh, movie moments. So let's let's start doing to that. Let's do some performances. I, we've talked a lot about some great uh, actors uh, throughout the year and all these movies that we've uh, you know mentioned so far. But any uh, real standouts you want to highlight again? Joaquin Phoenix and the Joker. Sure, he is very good. <laughs> I agree. He is. I think. I mean, Mark, you talked about it, and we just talked about it recently. Um, Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, the way that he's just subtly being cool and mysterious, but also like a badass, is like that's great. I think we talked about Adam Driver and, and Florence Pugh, mm-hmm. two great performances. I, I'm going to just mention. So I mentioned it at the end of my honorable mentions, but uh, Judy uh, Renee Zellweger in Judy. I think Judy as a narrative is not my favorite because it's it details a portion of uh judy garland's life that isn't her high point and so mm-hmm. as a story it's it's probably a, a bit um i don't know uh it's poignant but i think what renee zellweger does in that movie really elevates that film into something kind of amazing i i think her performance is is a, is among the very best of the year uh she, it could have gone south because it's not i don't think that's an easy thing to do and i do think there you there's a tendency to look at these biopics as like sort of to roll your eyes and say oh another biopic of course they're going to get a nomination but i think what the the renee zellweger's achievement in this film it goes beyond your standard just mimicry i think she i think there's even a little bit of renee zellweger's own personal life put into the for sure Yeah. yeah and and i and maybe i'm and maybe i'm seeing that but I, I, I just felt like it sort of affected me in a way that I, I felt this is real. She's giving a, an, an achievement that's beyond just the standard like, oh, I'm going to mimic this person that you know that is famous. And and she doesn't completely mimic her. She actually does her own singing, and her singing isn't as good as Judy Garland, although at this point in Judy Garland's life, her, her voice wasn't the best either. Um, but I think – it's it's actually it's a daring decision to have her sing herself, and I think it's actually the right decision for this for this role. I think it, I, I, it, I do like awards that go to people that actually sang the song, so that is a nice thing. <laughs> right. Damn. <laughs> no, no, no. That sounds like sounded like a swipe to Bohemian Rhapsody, but no, we we wouldn't do that. Which I did. No, enjoy it is. As it's well, directly but... a swipe to Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> that is crap. That's, that's what that is. <laughs> 
But anyway, I, I, I do think that Renee Zellweger really uh, did a good job uh, in that. Also, I want to mention Jimmy Fails in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I mean, he's uh-huh. not somebody that's famous, and I, I don't think he's gotten a whole lot of uh, love. But I think he brings sort of also a, a lot of himself to this role because he is a, a San Franciscan, and he he imbues that role with a poignancy and, and, a, and a depth that I think another actor may not have brought. So um, he he's also and I I I, I, mean, I have to think that he's you very guys good. Would... He, yeah. Just real quick, he's really good. But Jonathan Majors, his uh, co-star okay. in the movie, is like one of the best performances of the whole year. Yeah, and that's, I, I was that's thinking like, I think we talked about this. Yeah, we talked about it when it was released, and I was like, Jonathan Majors gives like one of the best performances of the year. Like he is stand out in it, and nobody's talking about it. But it's like Jonathan Majors. I saw not, him not, in uh, not in the circles that'll get up an Oscar, but I mean, in terms yeah, of but, just but, acknowledging no, it, just, it's there, right? Because I saw him earlier in the year in that John Goodman movie where like weird sound aliens, um, and then I was like, this guy's okay, and then I saw him in here and I was like, this guy's fucking oh, captive states. I'm like, what? Captive states, <laughs> yes, because <laughs> he's like the he plays a small role in captive state, and then I saw him in this one. I was like, this guy is. I want to see more of this guy acting. I'm sorry, Mark. I cut you out. What, what were you going to say? The other actor you're going to mention? Oh, I also want to mention Matthias Schoenarts in the Mustang. I oh, think yeah. he has a he, this actor. I really like him a lot, and in in everything he does, yeah. and I think he has sort of a, a Steve McQueen, very cool kind of tough guy persona, and that works really well for the Mustang. And that definitely that elevated the the film for me into my top ten because of that. And it is, you know, it's it's a. It's one of these stories about man and beast and who's taming who, and 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 that's all on paper. Kind of looks like, oh, I've seen this before, but it, it's not. You when you see, at least for me, when I I found it very, uh, you know, uh, affecting the, the, their relationship and the, and the way that it plays out, and and it's uh, and you know we're not supposed to like this guy. I mean, really, I mean, he he did something horrible. There's a reason why he's in jail. Uh, and and he has a, a conversation with his daughter, uh, so we start we start to see like why he's there, and and so then you're kind of like, oh yeah, why why do I want to? This guy is horrible. But then I mean, you know, it, 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 there's also sort of the the arc of redemption and stuff that's sort of underlying his uh, his character, and and I think it's it's very powerful, and a lot of that is, is speaks to the kind of uh, actor that Matthias Schoenarts are. He was also a, you, uh, Aaron. You mentioned a hidden life. He's also in that movie. Yeah, uh, I think Bruce Dern, I, Bruce Dern is in Mustang. By the way, we got to shout out Bruce that's Dern right. every time, right? That's and, how we do it. We take a Bruce shot. Dern is, take a shot when we mention Bruce he, Dern on this podcast. He's great at playing grizzled characters. He's like that's kind of what he does, and he's good at it. Yeah, he, and yes, yeah, Arts is in a hidden life, a movie that I also think is very, very good. Um, uh, I want to shout out Antonio Banderas in uh, Pain and Glory, which I think is maybe his best performance he's ever given out. Have you guys seen, have any of you seen Pain and Glory? No. It's on my movies that I miss list. It's, it's really good. Like, yeah, it's, and he's, he's gotten a lot of acclaim for his performance. So mm-hmm. I, there's, I need to see it. it mm-hmm. He's, he's really good. It's a really great movie, but like his, it's so informed by just like age and the fact that he's playing a version of Pedro Almodovar, who, you know, the film is semi-autobiographical. And so the idea that this man who is, you know, he's worked with Almodovar for, 
decades at this point and so he's they clearly have you know a kinship together and so the idea of him playing a version of him and really throwing both his own experience as an actor as well as what he's seen and what i assume is his friend into this big performance is great stuff to watch he's he's very good in this movie i'm very glad that he's gotten so much you know acclaim over i think didn't he win best actor at Cannes? i believe so but yeah he's really good eddie murphy in dolomite is my name is fantastic so i mean so so is wesley snipes so is uh, divine joy randolph but like eddie murphy I mean, it's so good to not only just be laughing with Eddie Murphy, but seeing him in like a really good movie again. And uh-huh. I, I, I can't say that like I need coming to America in my life, but at the same time, it's like if he and director Craig Brewer and all these funny people he seems to be lining up to be in this thing with him, if they're gonna do all that together, I hope it works out well. I'd love yeah. to see Eddie Murphy continue winning for a change. That'd be a nice uh-huh. change of pace. I mean, um, he, he was great on his SNL appearance too. Oh yeah. my, his SNL is so funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth Moss and her smell is uh, very good. Uh, the movie itself is like, yeah, I think it's fine. But I think I think her performance is very good. Is this kind of rock star who goes through? It's a, like a Steve Jobs in its presentation, as far as it gives you f- multiple like stages in her life uh, throughout different years, and you see kind of the evolution of her character. And it's a tricky performance, but I think it works really well. Uh, we mentioned Kelvin Harrison Jr. a lot in Waves and, and Loose. Uh, Taylor Russell, who's in Waves, is very good as well. Yes, uh, agree. Supporting that second half of Waves. Uh, just a, another great performance. Uh, the last one I want to mention, Rob Morgan, um, who's also in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. He has a small, he has a supporting role in um, this movie, Just Mercy. That's going to expand wide next week, too, with uh, Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. He plays a prisoner in the same jail as Jamie Foxx's character, and it's an absolutely fantastic supporting role. It's going to get no attention whatsoever because Jamie Foxx is the bigger supporting role in that movie, obviously. Um, but he's really good. And I keep seeing Rob Morgan pop up in things where he's awesome in it. And this is another one where he's just absolutely fantastic. So I just wanted to shout him out now because he's great. With their name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Performances. Let's move on to some surprises and disappointments. Any, um, let's, start with the, let's start with the negative first. Where are some disappointments from this year? Um... Uh, two of them that come up to mind when I was uh, making my list here: uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark and Doctor Sleep. Yeah, scary. You didn't like Scary Stories. I, I did not. No. I think it's a cinematic page turner. I know. Yeah, I, I know that Aaron <laughs> the New Earth. Right. That was a cinematic page turner. I'm with Aaron, or I'm with Abe on that. I I didn't care for that. Although I wouldn't call it a disappointment exactly because I didn't really expect it to be great. But uh, that was not something I enjoyed. Yeah, I guess I didn't expect it to be great, but I, I was expecting something else too. So disappointment. I would say I got scary stories, and they were mostly in the dark. So I was like, yeah, okay, good guys. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, they did. They did the, what they was set out to do, right? Yeah. I I would say for me it was Honey Boy, even though I didn't hate it. I just didn't like it. Uh, I like the the performances were fantastic, but everything else I just I wasn't my, about. My surprise is that you hated Honey Boy. <laughs> that's yeah, that's <laughs> see I didn't. It's because I well, know Mark. Mark sorry, to be fair, Mark hated the movie. Mark, yeah, the it's <laughs> one of my worst of the year. But I I didn't I just didn't feel like it, there was a point to the story. I, I didn't I it was you know you know what the point was? It was his therapy. I mean, he just basically this is like him to get us all his angst okay. out on on the screen. I felt which maybe I there was. There was no point to me watching the story. No, there was no point for the audience. 
but I it like had seeing a because I, I don't see movies like that very often. I was like, all right, cool. I, I, far and away, my biggest disappointment. This, I mean, disappointment is something that you walk in thinking it's going to be good, and then you walk out not liking it. And Dumbo uh, was that. <laughs> That's it, fair. Yeah. It, it, it was just total aberration of the source material. The the original cartoon is something sweet and wonderful. That the movie was none of those things. It was absolutely horrible. And I I I really there was. I mean, I can name like three or four Tim Burton movies that I absolutely absolutely adore i mean like he is a great filmmaker i i you know but he i can be and in fact he's done some good things i i even in the recent years i i really enjoyed big eyes a lot um so i i still i still like his stuff occasionally but dumbo was just awful and then another thing i i, I aaron's not gonna like me saying this but i really did feel like missing link was a disappointment for me i <laughs> I, oh, I, I i like you're on the wrong podcast golden yeah, globe winner best animated feature <laughs> Hilarious. Oh, those Aaron crazy, Newworth, crazy. Of Entertainments. <laughs> Golden Globes. They're, they're, they're... Yeah, the Globes. The thing I do not care about whatsoever. <laughs> I know. It's like, now is the time that you decide to cite the Globes. Hey, but but, now, it's, yeah. now it's an Oscar frontrunner for Best Animated Feature, so what can I tell you? Hey. Yeah, I still think. Do you think I, the Oscars are often not into sequels in animated films? So it's possible, you know? But I still think Toy Story 4 I think would. I, I would assume Toy Story. We'll get to that, I guess, when we get to our Oscar show. But I would assume Toy Story four. But I just think the race is that much tighter because, no, like, How to Train Your Dragon never has never won, so that could easily, you know, the sympathy aspect of that could help it. Or, um, you know, I don't know. I lost my body comes in there and swoops it in because that movie's great too. Um, but I, I, so, like animation, I love Coraline, Paranorman, and Kubo and the Two Strings. Those those films are oh, ranked very high. Shade, for, I see. Okay. Not, I I purposely <laughs> left that one out. So, but anyway, so I, I walked into Missing Link really primed to love it, and I and I didn't. Oh, but but uh, it, I didn't. So uh, Missing Link was still fun. I mean, I, I gave it a, a marginally positive review. It's just I was kind of like, you know, it, I didn't really embrace it. Dumbo was awful. But like that, just want to be clear. <laughs> I got a few. Um, yesterday, I thought was a surefire. Like Danny Boyle, Richard Curtis. What great premise. How could this not work out? Oh, we just didn't explore it at all. I guess that's the, <laughs> that's, the that's the reason that didn't pan out very well. What, what um, did you give that movie? I think I gave it a three. Uh, like I don't dislike. I don't. I, I just rewatch well, it. Actually, three I, out of five. I watched the commentary. Yeah, yeah, okay. out of five. Yeah, sorry, out of five. Yeah, like I don't. I don't dislike. I just think there's so much potential for it to be like pretty great, and it's just sure. like okay, like that's, that's it. That's, that's all we got. Um, Frozen two. I was like, when when do you see you know subpar Disney movies? Not very often, right? I mean, that's, that's an interesting one because it, it's made one point three billion dollars. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. you're, you're totally right about it being <laughs> not great because I I didn't. I thought it was like shovels and scra uh, scraps from the first one, but it's weird because I guess I didn't really have expectations for it either. I didn't. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't thinking this is going to be a new class, but I'm yeah. thinking it's a Disney movie. I should, you know, at the but very least expect. What did you think new. about the original Frozen? I really liked the original. You Frozen. liked it too. Yeah, that's not like, strong. I'm, uh, like you, okay? Because I, I thought it was on, just fine. So I'm, I, big I, on, I I'm big on the first Frozen. It's, okay. I like it more than uh, Wreck-It Ralph and Big Hero Six. <laughs> yeah, as far yeah. as yeah. movies that movies that won Oscars. Um, <laughs> um, let's see. I wouldn't say I was super excited, but like, I thought the kitchen had a pretty solid, like, Hey, here's, you know, some good actors, a cool premise. Like, why not? And it's like, well, that's just nothing. That was a nothing of a movie. Um, glass, <laughs> glass sucked guys. I'm sorry. Like, glass, <laughs> is, like, <laughs> glass is like, we had all these ideas. Again, it's another one. It was like, 
even if I, I, I don't put too high of thing like Shyamalan can't miss, but it's like at the same time, it's like you had you had all this, like you had all this to work with. <laughs> we uh, we discussed it on the pod. It's like, dude, your ideas are like twenty years old, and yeah, everybody no. has moved beyond all this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I but, came to that conclusion when I saw Split. Yeah, I didn't. Oh, like yeah, either. you're ahead of the game. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't. I mean, I like aspects of it, but I don't like that film overall. But I'm thinking, well, sure, surely, you know, he's got Jackson and Willis half awake, so that could be something. But yeah, it didn't, <laughs> you know, but I mean, that's all nothing compared to what I think is the biggest disappointment of the decade, which is Star Wars: The Rise of the Last Skywalker. I mean, Aww, <laughs> that, oh, come on. Uh, I was I, just yeah, like what the other ones. I was just like, you know, I, I don't really have high expectations for this. Everyone like took a shit on. Last Jedi already online, and I kind of have a feeling where it's going to go. So, like, it's fine. It is where it is. But Babu. I, I, I <laughs> like Babu. For, Aaron, Bob, you need Bob to. I'm sure you read my review. You need to. Uh, you needed to be in the audience. My, my audience was loving that film. I mean, <laughs> like, plotting at like everything. I mean, who, was it? Uh, was it John Williams that shows up in one scene? And yeah. like, every, yeah. everyone's applauding. I didn't even know what John Williams who he was. <laughs> I got, I got that applause. There with like an eye patch. Yeah. I, I've I've seen it twice. I had I got the applause moments both times. I know both I know where the times. applauses are. I just I just <laughs> the movie's not good. Like, that's my problem. Like, I guess disappointment of the decade. I mean I can't of think the of the decade. Just, no, I think I, just for the year. Right? No, I said the decade because I can't. Think oh of wow. Dis- well, what I can't think of anything that disappointed me more. I can't think of, like something that I, seems. I, I feel like it's just hey. more of the Force Awakens. Like if you don't like the Force Awakens, I could see I like why you Force like this. What's that? <laughs> I like the Force Awakens plane. Movie... Right, but it's it's the same. I mean, I, like I, one criticism about the Force Awakens was that it was just re- a reductive version of Star Wars, and I get that, but it's still fun, and that's how I feel about the uh, the Rise of Skywalker. It's fun. I mean, it's, well, it's I, not. I mean, I liked when he did it the first time in Force Awakens. When you're doing it twice and you make it more convoluted and badly written. It shows. I mean, it's it, there's a reason this movie has bad reviews from critics. Like, there's a reason why it's I, rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. People saw yeah, through I, the tricks this time around. They weren't going for the nostalgia fest. They're like, yeah, but you rushed this, and it shows. No clearly. tricks this time, here's, here's, here's another scary thing. I agree with Mark. Whoa! Like, I agree. It's fun. It was fun. I totally I agree with you, Mark. Well, I'm, not the, that there's, I'm not denying that there's entertainment in it because, well, and also, of course, the, the J.J. I mean, Abrams movies. If, if, if we're going to point to like people, I mean, the box office is doing well, so I mean, I think it's people do enjoy it. Yeah, just like Frozen <laughs> Two. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and I, I thought Frozen Two was fine. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I, I know. It's I, but I, but pleasant. I'm not I'm not, spe- I'm not speaking to the audience reaction. I'm saying, hey, here's a here's a Star Wars movie directed by J.J. Abrams. That should probably be pretty good at least. And so I'm walking out thinking. This was a bad movie. That makes it a oh. giant disappointment for me. Yeah, that's, <laughs> like, fair. So, that's fair. A bad movie. I, I, I feel like you yeah, on that one. The, the bar you. doesn't seem very high for Star Wars to clear J.J. Abrams making an entertainment movie. And he didn't do that. He made a movie that was not good in my eyes. So it's like, that, <laughs> that's that's annoying because, for one thing, it's Star Wars. Where, yes, I set the standard a bit higher because it's fucking Star Wars. And also, it's the final chapter of the Skywalker saga. Give me something that doesn't feel like they rushed through it in a year because they needed to meet a deadline. Give me a movie that actually, like, they tried. and they. Didn't, I think my, like... my expectations for that series have cooled considerably after the prequel trilogy. So I, I regret regarded the sequel trilogy which is the last three with a a different expectation than i have of the original star wars i I think the original star wars exists on a on a level that's sort of in the stratosphere and then this trilogy is like uh, the expectations are lower i I, so this trilogy was really good too 
It was fine. I, I, I think I don't this think one was the weakest same. one, but the first two were fantastic. I one, I'm, I mean, not to go too far into it, I am higher on the on the prequel trilogy, but at the very least, what I can see there is here's an auteur that's throwing a bunch of stuff that he really wants to express in his movies, in his movies, and it feels unique for its time and what it's trying to do, regardless of how successful it is. The sequel trilogy, it's like, all right, cool. Yeah, you brought it back, and it looks a lot like the thing that we once liked, or still like, but like liked from that time. And then they, then Ryan Johnson comes along and they, you know, blows the world open and says, "Hey, look at this movie. It could be Star Wars and also something crazy and unique, and you've never seen this version of Star Wars before." So then we get another version of that thing that was like, "Oh, that's fun again." It's like, and you did it worse the, than the the second time. It's like, okay, that's. <laughs> I, I have <laughs> not... two words for you, Babu Frick. Yeah, Babu Frick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my spirit hey, animal is like, that works. star of uh, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. yeah, give me, if you made the Babu Frick C-3PO story, I'm all over that. Like, I was going to say, I know you like C-3PO in the film, so that, yeah, that, that, there's, that's there's, got to be a Disney well, Plus thing. Anthony, Anthony yeah. Daniels showed up. That's what can I, what can I say. Let's and move on. We're talking so much about <laughs> Star Wars. Um, let's see, real quick. Some favorite movie moments. Any movie moments that stuck out for you guys? Just like yeah, quick moments. We, we just talked about a lot of it too, but uh, Ray is Palpatine's granddaughter and I was like, what the fuck? Um, oh wait, that was just way. disappointments. We didn't do surprises. <laughs> I'm sorry, we got so far into the dis- disappointments. We didn't, yeah, well, well hold on. Let's, let's do the moments real quick here. Let's do moments uh, real quick. Yeah, Ray Palpatine. And then also, Mark, you, you uh, said it earlier, but Bruce Dern in, <laughs> in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I was like, this is amazing. He's great in the scene. Uh, and then the attack dogs in Jaguar 3. We need more attack dogs in movies. <laughs> You're not wrong. I, I really enjoyed what well, I was – I think I'm one of – I think it's only me and Aaron who love scary stories to tell in the dark. But that hospital scene where the blo- that blob <laughs> thing that is coming crazy. from all four sides, that was fantastic. <laughs> that was so frustrating to me. Where I'm walking, it's like, that's cheating. Like, that's not going to come It's like <laughs> – it was fantastic. Like that stayed with me until right now, you know. I mean, part mm. of what I like about it is that it it's all practical monster design. That's what I mm. I, I do enjoy. Even though like the ones that don't seem like it, they because we're so spoiled with CG effects at this point. But they, I mean, every single one of them is made practically, which is right. which is the stuff I liked. I mean, the the wraparound story, yeah, I, the ending's weak and whatever. But the the scary stories that they tell, I like those segments, and that's why I like the movie. And they're in the dark. They are in the dark too. That that was in red, <laughs> but it was dark red, so it helps. <laughs> So, um, um, the, uh, real quick, I mentioned the plush rush from Toy Story Four. That's one of mine for sure because it's absolutely hysterical. Uh, the moon chase in Ad Astra because they chase, they have a car chase on the moon and it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, there's a scene in Ford vs Ferrari where there's a big test drive with Matt Damon and Tracy Letts' character. That's one of mine. And um, Adam Driver at the end of Marriage Story singing Sondheim, singing Being Alive. Uh, those are my oh, moments yeah. I want to That's shout out. Great. So I have a movie mov- moment from uh, Marriage Story. It's when the lawyers break for lunch. When they're in the <laughs> middle of the thing, and they're like, okay, let's order lunch. And it's like, wait, it, it's just – you have to watch the scene, but it's just – it really speaks to the lawyers are here doing a job, but these people, their lives are being upended completely, and it's just like, okay, lunch takes precedence over all of this. Right. Um, the scene and in you, Joe's and you, Gara- and you get And you get a real quick moment where – not just the lawyers, but like Scarlett Johansson has to kind of take charge in ordering something, and it's just it speaks to their relationship oh, right, to each right. other. For Adam Driver, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's also it, it underscores their relationship, which is yeah. very sweet actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there's a scene in Jojo Rabbit where uh, the main character ties his mother's shoes. Uh, oh, I yeah. just lost it at that scene. Yeah. Um, I Stan Lee's touching cameo in Captain Marvel that was just sort of like a nice coda, and. Uh, 
I mean, there's so many scenes in Midsummer, but uh, maybe the the maybe the elder ritual, the sort of that's I'm, a stupa. Yeah, yeah. I'll just quote the the leap of faith. How about that? We'll just call it that. <laughs> that was. I like it. Yeah, and and, and it, there's like a moment, and then you think it's over, and no, the, it, it's gonna get even worse because they were gonna like double down on that image. So that was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Well, just what, just the, just just the way he leaped, I'm like, well, that's not gonna do it. And like, yeah, oh, I didn't do it. Exactly. <laughs> it wasn't. Right. It wasn't... You didn't you didn't see the first person in front of you. <laughs> and you didn't then um, the training video that I'm sure they had beforehand. <laughs> And then I just want to cite uh, Spider-Man Far From Home one more time. There's a, a sort of an insane illusion battle between Spider-Man yeah. and Mysterio. And I thought that was sort of a really it's, – it's all CGI and effects. But I just thought this is fun. I like this is why I go to the movies in the summer for this kind of like sort of spe- spectacle entertainment. Yeah, that was a that was a better animated film than all of Lion King. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Golden Globe nominated Lion King. But right? they had a new song, Aaron. You didn't like the scene in Lion King where it was like the first Lion King? That's the one scene I liked. You... That's what I was like, oh, yeah, the <laughs> okay, movie came right. here. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Is uh, that everybody? everybody? Uh, surpri- we didn't do surprises. Let's do some surprises, yeah, surprises real quick to balance uh, out all the negativity uh, we had in disappointment. Last one here. Uh, uh, the Kid Who Would Be King. Abominable. Crawl and Maleficent. I was like, wow, they're really doing a lot of things in Maleficent here that I wasn't expecting. We talked about this on the, on the review episode. And then they, they kind of don't stick the landing but still i was like this is a lot of really good deep guts considering but all those I liked movies, it, like prizes. consider that i i liked the second maleficent a lot more than the first <laughs> one I, I do consider that a surprise i suppose i, I didn't think <laughs> about that but it's like well that was better than the first is it, it it's not like it's not like a top 25 movie maybe it no, is not at all not at all <laughs> it certainly has like a lot of ideas i was like this is great um i was surprised for me- how much I liked Rocket Man because I still had the bad taste of Bohemian Rhapsody in my mouth. Okay, anyway, so for the, my real He sang. Ones, he sang the songs, too. You know, that's, that's the thing I like. <laughs> so every music biopic, you're going to be surprised that you like it because of that one movie? Uh, it was just, that's it was like so going fresh. to a movie that's a was, drama and saying, like, oh, I'm surprised I like this drama because I didn't not, like the drama. It was just I know you're talking, to, I know you're talking to Marcus, but I, I will say I'm not surprised that when I – I'm not, I'm not surprised when I like a music biopic because of how much I dislike that movie specifically, but I am more or less surprised these days when I like a biopic more than I may have expected to, just because I am I'm pretty strung out on biopics. Like I just I'm pretty like I get right. it. I think I was. I think I was. God forbid of, like, they, if they do a biopic that's like a straight ahead, linearly told, like you know, birth to death, that that's going to get a bad review from you. Right now. <laughs> no, I mean, if it, 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 if it, yeah, we were talking about Tupac's movie. If it if it does it well, it's not a pro- Ford versus Ferrari. It's a great example of that. I mean, there's there's plenty of biopics that do it well, but in terms of if you're going to tell me. You know, English actor stars as white guy of adversity. I'm like, okay, like that's not going to get me excited to go to the movies unless it's someone that I really enjoy as a director or an actor. Like it's it's just not it doesn't get me going in the same way that other movies can. <laughs> okay. Well, if it was directed by Quentin Tarantino, I oh, mean, yeah, obviously, I mean, there's there's all kinds of variables to this. But if you're gonna tell me if you're gonna sell me like Colin Firth plays a handicapped guy from you know 1970s, like. Okay, great. I'll probably see it. I'll probably be good in it. But like, we give me wait. I need more. <laughs> Fair. Well, I, I will say, Rocket Man had some. I, I was less enthusiastic about the film, but I thought it had some great uh, musical numbers. Yes. I mean, it, 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 there was that Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting was just like spectacular. That's the one at the fairground, right? The Saturday. Yeah, that's the earliest. Yeah, yeah the earlier one. That one is yeah. what's it? Um, 
not the bitch is back. It's the one where he's on the piano and he starts floating. That sequence is real. That, you're not wrong. I mean, the the the, um, the musical numbers in general are all they're really, really well beautifully staged and, and yeah. yeah, and the costume design and all that is great. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to really enjoy about it. Taron Edgerton is is good in the role too. Yeah, yeah doesn't he know. sing? Doesn't he? <laughs> we we got there. Okay. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, I was. So, I, I, mean, didn't, you know I didn't give you know, oh, my surprises yet. I was. I was going to say though. Speaking on the topic of biopics, that surprised me. Beautiful day in the neighborhood. I like that way more than I thought I would. And I. I shouldn't have been so surprised. Oh, okay. Like Mir- Mir- Heller has been very good as a director. As far as like, can you ever, uh, forgive me? Like I. I did really like that movie, and I liked how it chose to portray uh, Mr. Rogers and the way he's a supporting character and what it's trying to say about him and, and, and that story in general. That was one where I, I really liked. I liked it more than I expected. Cool. And I know you were cooler on that movie. So. Well, it, it was a brilliant biography about Lloyd Vogel. So, yeah, if you want to yeah. Everybody loves him. Everybody loves I, him. I heard Lloyd Vogel's mom and dad love the movie. So, so surprises for me. I, I thought Good Boys. I this was coming at the end of the summer. Oh. It was just a, I thought it was a throwaway comedy. I went in. I laughed a ton. I thought Good Boys was really funny. Ma uh, I never underestimate Octavia Spencer. Uh, you know, she was in Marcus's number two pick, Loose, and she's good in that. I, I thought she was also good in Ma, and I thought the, the whole setup was so bizarre. Just like these white kids and then this woman and like <laughs> it just was so weird. And I, yeah. I thought she really brought like, you know, a, a good like character to it. Um and then I, Aaron, or I'm sorry, Abe mentioned this earlier. I was a little surprised by how good Toy Story 4 was. I, I, I mean, I, I know Pixar does a good job with those films, but I just thought fourth entry, it's, it's, it's going to have run its course, and they still have fresh ideas for that. Mm-hmm. Nope, I All have right. to add one. I have to add one. Uh, I yeah. was surprised on how much I liked it. Chapter two. I think I'm the only one here. Wait, 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 is Mars being serious right now? No, I'm being serious. Okay. No, he, he, he was a fan, yeah. I remember. Okay. He was a fan. Right. I, I thought it was entertaining. Uh, I didn't re- like the first one at all. I thought that was I didn't know a, waste of my, a waste of my time. But this one, even though it doesn't really work, I, I there was massive parts of this that I was very entertained by and I thought were really well done. You know what? I'll be added to my movie moments. The the Bill Hader gets surprised by Paul Bunyan attack. That got me. That was that was like I did not see this coming. Okay, I enjoyed it. I'm saying I did enjoy it because I was like, well, that's not. I like I didn't think that was going to happen right now. So yes, there you go. But yeah, I didn't like the first movie, so I wasn't I wasn't disappointed or surprised by the fact that I didn't like the second one either. I was surprised that I found it entertaining. Now it doesn't it doesn't really work, but I I was surprised how entertaining. It doesn't track to me that you dislike the first movie and you're like, but this one's all right. Yeah, yeah, that's what surprised me as well. There. It's longer. It's more plotting. It has way too many flashbacks. It's better. <laughs> it's better, yeah. I don't know. I, I can't explain it. All right. Um, <laughs> let's do some uh, what are we anticipating uh, next year. We can do this pretty quickly, but I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of filmmakers that I think we all like that are making movies, along with just some other notable films that are coming out. Any specific highlights you want to shout out real quick? Antlers. Antlers. What is, okay. Interesting. What That's is that? That's produced by Del Toro. It's directed by what's his name, Scott. Um, he did. Um, he did the one Jeff Bridges won an Oscar for. Um, uh, True Grit. No, the one before the, the one, uh, <laughs> that movie that we all that country movie where he's a country singer. Oh, uh, oh man, what is that movie called? I'm gonna just look up Antlers to be really quick about this. Look up Antlers. Uh, so the, Scott Cooper. Scott Cooper's no. the director. 
Scott Cooper's really the guy. director. Yeah. No, it's not the favorite. Um, <laughs> what, what's what, that is that, what is that movie, though? Crazy Hearts. Crazy Hearts. Oh, Hearts. Oh. Hostiles you. was the other movie. Hostiles, Black Mass, Out of the Furnace. Uh, those are the other movies. Okay. Antlers, Antlers, yeah. right. Horror movie produced by Del Toro, directed by Scott The trailers Hearts. look crazy. Oh. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it horror deer there's only one i'm looking forward to next year the bob's burgers movie that's it yeah there's a bob Bob's burgers movie yeah they're they're gonna pull it off if if you know hopefully it's not like a simpsons movie type thing which is like a super long episode this movie was better than it could have been i generally (laughs) okay i generally don't uh anticipate superhero films just because there's so many of them and i just sort of like take each one as like as it comes however and i wasn't really primed to love this film but when i saw the trailer for wonder woman 1984 it it really there's something about the production design that kind of uh, touched something in me it has this sort of logan's run flash gordon uh, aesthetic (laughs) yeah and and i i was really kind of like I, I, there's something about it that about that trailer that really got me and i mean that's the that's the purpose of a trailer i mean normally trailers don't grab me that quickly but as i was watching it and even watching gal gadot and just there's something about her just like she's just charismatic and it, even in that little short trailer i started to feel like wow i'm i'm excited about this film and i know millions of people are excited about this film so it's it's not i'm not picking something that's all, you know off the off the script but uh it's it didn't expect to like it and i, and, I mean I, I i expect to like it but i i didn't think it was going to be as spectacular as as i saw and then um just a few others i'll mention i i'm kind of curious about steven spielberg's remake of uh, west side story oh, i definitely um, am yeah yeah uh there uh david fincher is going to have a movie called mank yep. uh it's, it's a bio- biography i'm curious about that um wes anderson has a movie called the french dispatch which is coming out um Mm -hmm. that's looks in i mean anything he does i'm i'm on board for and then pixar you know i'm onward uh i I don't the trailer itself didn't really grab me but the fact that it's pixar is enough to make me think you know i i i i'm going to trust that they're going to give me something that's pretty great Mm -hmm. i'm more looking forward to soul their other movie that's coming out uh that year in june um I just like that premise more. Was uh, it because of the cowboy dance? Yes, I, actually, so I, you can add that too. I, I, uh, I had forgotten. Yeah, Pixar about in general. Yeah, I, I yeah, have Pixar. I, you know, I have high hopes just because they're pick, like you're saying, they're Pixar. So the brand itself is enough to be like, I should expect something good. Um, so you know, we'll see what happens. Oh, oh uh, uh, one more. I just uh, Sofia Coppola is directing a movie called On the Rocks, and it's with uh, Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. also got Rashida Jones, Marlon Wayans. Uh, that obviously it piques my interest. That you, know, you mentioned Marlon Wayans. That excites me just because I like it when he actually does things that are outside of the kind of same right. with like Adam Sandler, outside of the comfort zone. Because he he is good in movies that are not just him doing his comedy thing, like in uh, Requiem for a Dream. Oh or, yeah. Uh, I mean, he he ha- he has proven that he has the, that kind of talent if he wants to use it. So I, I can hope that it's put to good use. Spike Lee has moved the the Five Bloods that's coming out uh, later this year or that I, I'm automatically looking forward to. Cause it's a new Spike Lee movie. Um, him and Fincher, they're both Netflix movies. Netflix just giving everybody a shot here. <laughs> but um, right, uh, Tenet obviously Nolan's movie. Um, in oh July. yeah. Saw that preview, saw that prologue. Yeah, give me more big IMAX Nolan stuff. Why 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 would I not look forward to that? Yeah, Abe. Did you have any? Did you mention some? Yeah, I mentioned some already. I'm, I mean, yes. I'm kind of facetiously not... saying only the Bob's Burgers movies, but what everybody's saying, there, there's so many things that are coming out, whether oh. it's a main temple or a small indie, that I'm really Fast looking forward to. Furious. Fast and Furious Nine. <laughs> Fast Nine. <laughs> what we didn't. Halloween the... Kills. Come on. Halloween Kills. I'm looking for Halloween Kills. Kills. 
Is is Chloe Zhao making a superhero movie? She's making a superhero movie, yeah, but I don't know. I but she, but she has different. another movie coming out this year as well, actually. Would be oh wow, okay, yeah. all right. Well. Wait, who's wait who's doing Eternals? Oh, um, Chloe Zhao. That's Chloe Zhao. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Okay, yeah, I got mixed up. Okay, yeah, okay. Chloe, yeah. Can't keep track of all these Marvel movies. <laughs> who's directing? <laughs> um, all right. Is that all the? We good? We good on this? Yeah, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of good we're, stuff we'll there. We're gonna discuss it more as the new year rolls around. Anyway. Oh, we'll, we'll talk about these in lengthy episodes, focused on each specific movie. I don't know. Are those called movie reviews? I'm not sure. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on from that to. Um, I wanted to surprise Marcus with this. I made a game. What? Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, so it's that time. It is time for games. Damn. Oh no. <laughs> it is a speed round, though. Um, hey, it is Faves of 2019 edition. It's the same question for everyone. How many Oscar winners are featured in this movie from one to five? It's, it's going to be one, two, three, four, or five. I'm just gonna, right. it is, there's only so many of these. Uh, whoever You can just sh- shout out a number. Whoever gets the number right first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always our name and then the number. Yeah. Or you can just shout it out. Just shout it out. Yeah. I want to do a speed round. The choice is, is how I pass college. Okay. Well, <laughs> how many Oscar winners star in Ford versus Ferrari? One, two, two. three, four, or five. Two. Two. Oh, yeah, two. Incorrect, it's three. Who's the third one? Christian Bale, Matt Damon, and Ray McKinnon, who won a Best Oscar oh. for a uh, for live-action short. I knew uh, that. Oh. <laughs> here's the next one. How many Oscar well, winners we're just are ta- featured? Are we just talking about actors? Mostly, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Obviously, it could be score or... Yeah. Okay. I'm fo- yes, I'm. Fo- I'm focused on the actors. That's yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. How many Oscar winners are featured in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Uh, five. five. Uh, four. Four. Four is the correct answer. DiCaprio, DiCaprio, Pitt, Pacino, and Tarantino. Bruce Stern doesn't have one. What? Bruce Stern. He has two. Not. He has two nominations. No wins. Uh, okay. Okay. How many Oscar winners are featured in Us? Uh, one. I'll say one. Marcus? Marcus thinks yeah, it's about one. this. I think I answered at the same time as him. Two. Oh. Peel has a small thing. He, he narrates the round. Oh, round. damn it. <laughs> this is where Mark's question comes back into play. All right. But I guess he's in it. because he No, narrates. he's in the movie, though. That's yeah. the thing. <laughs> yeah, okay. How many Oscar winners are in Toy Story 4? Uh, two. Three. Three. It's yeah. four. Tom Hanks, Jordan Peel, Mel Brooks, and Patricia Arquette. Wow. Oh, wow. Thank yeah. you, boyhood. <laughs> You're right. The Goldfinch, Abe's favorite movie of the year. Uh, uh, just one? Two. It's one. Nicole Kidman. Uh-huh. That's, it. That's it. Nicole Kidman. Okay. But it seems like a movie that has more, right? When it you does, look at it. Yeah. <laughs> you look at the gold, you're like, aren't there like four Oscar winners in that movie? <laughs> well, I mean, technically, Roger Deakins, but that's on a technical level. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah I was including Roger Deakins. That's what <laughs> I'll give it to you, Mark. The Irishman. How many Oscar winners are in The Irishman? Oh, gosh. Four. Uh, five. I'll say five. It is five. De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, Anna Paquin, and Martin Scorsese. That's right, for the piano. For the piano, yeah. All right, this next one's it's one through ten are your options. How many, Oscar winners, how many Oscar winners are in Avengers Endgame? Uh, three. Seven. Six. Eight. Uh, Brie Larson, Robert Redford, Tilda Swinton, Marissa Tomei, Natalie Portman, Michael Douglas, William Hurt, and Gwyneth Paltrow. This is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) 
And that was Speed Round Games, Faves of 2019 edition. Thank you. That was very fun. <laughs> right, who won? I was like, I looked at it. doesn't matter. We all won. We all the, team, oh. the team, team win. Marcus lost. We're That's all winners. <laughs> Marcus' streak is over. He lost the game. Oh, yeah. man. Okay. The well, end game when I was like, how many could be in this? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, there's eight of them. <laughs> That's a tough one. There's more nominees, like, there's, but everybody's been nominated for something. Right. Uh, anyway, okay. Let's move on. Let's get some at now feedback. Feedback, feedback. Feedback. This is where I go over the. <laughs> Thank you. This is where I go over the various questions. And... This is where we go over the various questions and answers. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash now podcast. I asked a number of questions that are all related to our favorites of the year. And you guys gave us answers, so let's do this. What are your favorite films of 2019? Chris writes, One Cut of the Dead, Midsommar, Us, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, John Wick 3, and The Irishman. Still lots of films out, not out here yet in the UK, including The Lodge and The Lighthouse. Uh, Jonathan Van Dyke, friend of the show, writes, This is a tough question. Always amazed you kids can bust out the end-of-the-year list, which I rely on, mind you. Avengers Endgame was satisfying and amazing in a packed Westwood theater. Little Women was everything I wanted it to be and the best way to end the year. I know I laughed at Booksmart a lot in the moment. I know I appreciated Parasite, Waves, Jojo Rabbit, and Uncut Gems. I know Us was cool. I remember being glad I caught Ad Astra in the theater and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have no idea what will stand the test of time from this year for me, though. That will be intriguing. Peter Butter Falcon was just this nice thing, and we rarely get to see a feel-good movie movie still need to see midsummer and farewell with the onslaught of things to watch how can anyone revisit anything or like anything as much as we used to i haven't rewatched anything in forever haha <laughs> larger question <laughs> thank <laughs> you for you, that john. long answer john uh todd from the show writes dolomite is my name and irene writes i just finished watching dolomite is my name what a great movie some other favorites are us avengers endgame and knives out and we've already listed our top movies of 2019 so the next question is what are your favorite cinematic performances of 2019 Corinne writes Adam Driver in Marriage Story, Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Daniel Craig in Knives Out, Nicole Kidman in The Goldfinch. Uh, honorable mention to Adam Sandler. Also, I love Sir Ronan and Florence Pugh in Little Women. Lots of good stuff in there I, I need to see. Todd writes Eddie Murphy and Dolomite is my name. Chris has Adam Driver and Joaquin Phoenix. Next we have uh, what are your biggest surprises and disappointments of 2019? Alan Aguilera has surprises are Parasite and Ad Astra. Justin's disappointment was Frozen 2. Nippon's disappointment was Once Upon a Time and <laughs> He just fell asleep, huh? <laughs> uh, Renee has <laughs> loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Yesterday. Uh, Chris has disappointment, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Todd writes surprises were Klaus, and disappointments were It Chapter 2 and The Lego Movie 2, oh. the second part. Yeah. I think you talked about Klaus uh, in... That's a Netflix thing, right? Yeah, it's very good. Okay, there you go. Actually, you know what? That is a surprise for me, too, because I was surprised about how good that movie was. Okay, <laughs> now I'm going to watch it tonight. <laughs> Which one? Klaus. Oh, Klaus. The, uh, animated, the animated Netflix. With, uh, yeah. with, the, with the dream team you've been waiting for, <laughs> Jason, Schwar Justin, bleh, Jason Schwartzman and J.K. Simmons. I mean, everybody loves oh, wow. those guys. Yeah. Uh, the next but one they're like, when are, when are they going to be together? That's what people are clamoring for. Yeah. Uh, next question is, what are your favorite blockbuster? What was your favorite blockbuster of the year, and what was your favorite non-studio film of the year? Chris says Endgame or uh, JW3. JW3? John Wick Chapter 3 for Blockbuster. And Depraved, Britney Runs Marathon, and The Farewell for Indies. I guess we go by our lists. Mine would be like Once Upon a Time and The Last Black Man. That would be my Blockbuster and my non-studio film, right? Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. I guess we read our list again. But... Right. <laughs> Actually, all of your guys' are that way, right? 1917, then Jojo Rabbit and The Farewell. So like, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Of, it, there's, there's a lot of uh, big and small stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Loose. The Marriage Story and Loose. Yeah. Marriage Story is a big studio, right? Netflix is big leagues, right? They got Scorsese yeah. giving them $200 million. So <laughs> like, that counts. Right? They're paying every uh, stand-up comedian $20 million per show. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's how, that's. I'm sure that's how it works. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. Where did every Where did everybody place Avengers Endgame in their year end list? 25. I didn't like it as much as uh, Infinity War, so it, it's a little bit lower. I liked it more than Infinity War, which I kind of thought I would. <laughs> so that's fair. It was. Yeah. yeah it, it made my top twenty actually. So yeah, it would have made my top twenty five. Yeah. It's my it's my twenty five in the in that rank. So yeah, it's it's in there. Um, I'd say I watch it a lot, but it's three hours, so it's hard to watch it a lot. <laughs> but, it's like, quite a commitment. Watched, but I've seen it three times, so there you go. Take that as you will. Uh, what movies are you looking forward to most in 2020? Todd writes Dune. Adam Gentry, friend of the show, writes Black Widow. Irene writes Black Widow, Tenet, Soul, and In the Heights. Emma writes There's going to be a retelling of the Ned Kelly story. Another one? A Ned Kelly story starring Russell Crowe and Charlie Hunnam on Netflix. I saw the preview and it looks great. Brian mm-hmm. White, friend of the show, writes Harley Quinn or Birds of Prey and the Yada Yada Emancipation of, the, of Harley Quinn. Uh, all that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we already went over our. Uh, anticipated what else are we doing here that's it for feedback yeah feedback 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 feedback, feedback. feedback. bam Which brings us basically to the end of our show because um that's what we're gonna do that was our plan so uh let's see uh next week's show not sure yet we have underwater which is directed by the uh the director of the signal a, a show that it, a movie that Abe and i are big fans of oh. um so we might talk about that movie i know just mercy gets a wide release next week so that, that's another option as well so we'll uh We'll figure it out. See what we want to do. Yeah, uh, we can do. <laughs> in terms of what people should go and see now, we just listed like forty movies, so I think those are like a good idea. <laughs> what you can go and do. Check out uh, some of those. They're pretty good. Yeah. yeah, check out some of those movies that uh, we you, we've just been talking about for the past two hours. Um, so I I guess that's gonna do it for this week's episode of Out Now Third and Abe. You can find more of my work and my personal blog at CodeZeke.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing at We Live Entertainment and Why So Blue. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? Front stuff over my Instagram, Abe.Moo, and Twitter.com slash Wallace Moose. Hashtag 2020. Mark Hoban, where can people find more of your work online? You can read my personal reviews on my blog, FastFilmReviews.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter, Mark underscore Hoban. Marcus Robinson, where can people find more of you? Uh, Twitter, MoviesMarcus, and MoviesMarcus.com, and friend me on Facebook. Why not? And Instagram, <laughs> uh, you know, Uh-oh. whatever. You're going to get like 100 likes or 100 hey, requests. Hey, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm pretty affable. So if hey, you want to, yeah, if you want to have a back and forth, I'm up for it. I like it. <laughs> you can find all the other episodes about now with Aaron Abe on iTunes, Audioboom, and Spotify. <laughs> SoundCloud, Podomatic, or HHWLOD. Feel free to email us your top 10 list or anything else you want to talk about at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can write on our Facebook blog, Facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And when you're done friending Marcus, feel free to follow our Instagram page at, at Instagram.com slash underscore podcast as well. Um, thank you, Marcus and Mark, for joining us for our top thank 10 you, episode. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank for you for having me. me. Yeah. For sure. Uh, thanks to all of our, our friends of the show, our guests that we have on, for submitting their top 10s as well. I hope you enjoyed hearing them scattered throughout this episode. Uh, thank you, the listeners, for uh, you know being with us. Again, this is you know feels like... This is the culmination of another entire year of doing this movie podcast, and we have plenty more to keep doing. So, you know, look forward to all the other fun stuff we do when you, you know, have to vote for our episodes, obviously, for that top 10 favorite out now episodes of 2020. Um, <laughs> but with all that way, that's going to do it. So, until next time, so long. And goodbye.
Got my recording. Abe, you good on your side? I think mine's gone. Yeah, yeah. Okie dokie. Artichokey. Exactly. <laughs> I just did the Brendan the Brendan Fraser clap. With you didn't clap. see it there. Yeah, the Golden yeah, <laughs> Globes clap. With the, with the finger point after the clap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, you have to kick your head way back, too. Is that what happens? Yeah. Because of that classic De Niro zinger. I believe De Niro was involved in whatever was going on there. Like someone said something about De Niro and then Brendan Fraser um, dropped out of Hollywood for five years. So I think that's that's the story. <laughs> Holding on to the energy that I have. Holding. <laughs> I know I was in the zone. Now I'm. I'm yeah. Sure. Murray, okay. Was sorry. Yeah, I okay. I, I didn't. I literally didn't hear like the last like minute. And okay. then you guys oh, popped back in and I was like, what's going on? Okay. Well, we can Let's hear you. You sound great. Awesome! Like you okay. sound, you sounded better before. You're okay now. I'm kidding. You're fine. You sound good. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to. You're all good. You're all good. We're still going. We got this. Yeah, we got the energy here. We got this. No, everybody. Mark right. is done. Okay. Mark is <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you love movies and if you love uh, like Hollywood, this is a movie about Hollywood, and it's <laughs> great. <laughs> that almost sounded like a knock. No, 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 it's not. But this it, is a movie. It's, it's really, 